0: On today's show, we are getting to know Anthony. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire. Someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E the next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The links in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that. Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You Pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs, through our Patreon, or ideally both is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you.
1: Hello.
2: Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you.
1: I'm going to do a terrific show today.
2: Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me.
1: Because I'm good enough.
0: Getting to know you. Putting it my
1: way. But I'm smart enough. You are precisely and it. My cup of it.
0: And I found out Anthony is coming with the fire today. No, I'm just kidding. He's gonna be him. Thank you, Anthony, for coming on, letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And by fire, I hope you mean ketamine. Let's get started. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> Honestly, dude, it's funny, man, because it was whatever. I think we were talking for like ten minutes. And we got into a ton of shit, man, like therapy, PTSD, just the serving in the, um, you were in the Navy. I was in the national guard. I don't know if you know that, but like oh, cool. just boot camp stories. And I was like, fuck man, we got to start recording. Um, so you actually, it was kind of interesting. I was going back through the message to be like, how did I get him scheduled? And you left a comment. I guess I was hitting someone else up and you were like, hey, I'd come on your podcast. (laughs) And I was like, no shit. I love it when people see me leaving comments and then they're like, dude, I'd love to be on a pod. So thank you for uh, being brave. I'd totally forgotten about that. I like how you were trying to put yourself out there, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've always kind of thought that it'd be kind of cool to be on a pod. Um, A lot of podcasts seem to be specific. Like, hey, this is a sports podcast or a murder mystery podcast. And I just thought it was kind of unique that you were just, hey, let's just talk to you and that'll be the podcast. So I think everybody has a story, you know? So I thought, hell, let me just kind of share mine.
0: Dude. And so it's funny you say you share, everyone has a story, share mine. Originally, I think within like three or four, my first two or three episodes, my original slogan was going to be share your story, getting to know you pod, share your story. But then like, I was trying to be too gimmicky or catchy with like, so, Anthony, what's your story? And like it almost put too much pressure on for people. But that's exactly that, that was my vision for this thing when I started it off was just like everyone's got stories, man. Everyone's got experiences. Like, how cool would it be to just hear what makes people who they are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny when you say, What's your story? I'm sure everybody, when asked that question, they think of a specific time period in their life um, and what that. What time that you know if your story is uh birth to eight was terrible you (laughs) tend to be like okay well i don't want to talk about that let me talk about college you know right but that story that is interesting is probably going to be that first eight years and that's kind of where my big story is that i don't talk to about to a lot of people Um, so i thought i would share that kind of um and obviously that story is going to have another side stories i'm sure so.
0: <laughs> that's the whole point dude yeah so start at it are we starting right at the womb
1: yeah i'll start with my last name actually so you said my name is anthony do you know my last name
0: um on the google meet it says anthony gonzalez
1: yeah so there's actually a second part of that to that so it's actually hyphenated s-t-a-f-f oh, okay. um and it doesn't yeah. always show up on places because i don't always use it but if you look on my military ID, it'll say Gonzalez, Staff. And that's kind of what makes people like, oh, what's up with you, man? Like, why do you have this weird last name? And it's because I'm adopted, actually. So the Gonzales is Mexican and the Staff is Dutch. Good, line. Good find. Good fine Yeah, a lot of people will be like, oh, that just makes you Italian. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, a lot of people say that. So, yeah, um, my the reason I have this because I'm adopted. Um, I was pretty much born into a trap house. Uh, so if you're not familiar with that, it's drugs, prostitutes, gang shit, just not not good. So it's pretty crazy. Like I lived with my mom and my two sisters in this trap house till I was like six, seven. Yeah, seven. And then uh, I got uh, went into foster care. And that's kind of where my story starts is at foster care. And it kind of goes back to something that weighs a lot of my heart, uh, kind of like kids getting um, kind of just getting looked over, glanced over, you know, and to me, that's something that I care a lot about. I volunteer uh, with the foster hope link here in Seattle. Um, so that's pretty cool. I mean, to have that as my story wasn't cool at the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you, do you remember what got you into foster care? Like was like, um, I think like division of public family services, DFS, like were they involved somehow? Did a school report something? Did your,
1: yeah, I don't was... know exactly. I think just living in a trap house by itself will get you eventually. <laughs> you Uh, yeah. so I do remember vividly like the cops, like ra- raiding the house and it was like 10 cops and, I was was too young to know what was going on. My two little sisters, but then children's services is there. So this was planned because children's services was there and they take us. And then the next thing you know, you're just with another family, like the next night. So no idea who these people were. They had three of their own kids. Now I'm just living in this house with them and I don't know shit. I don't know colors. I don't know my ABCs. I don't know how to say please. I don't know how to say thank you. Like basic shit. I didn't know any of it.
0: No way. It's seven years old.
1: Yeah. Didn't know shit. So they, um, this is in like 1991. And I can tell you the children's services, and this is in Oregon, actually. They just didn't have the resources, the funding, um, the technology to vet all these people. So we got placed into a foster care family that was like abusive. They were like, cool on paper they were cool in meetings but then when it got down to it like we were basically like abused as children like physically
0: dude that's the horror story right because they use the kids for the paycheck and then they don't actually wound up whatever building spending the money on the children that they're supposed to be a loving and providing for right and once you get that check there's no
1: checks and balances on where that money's going or being used it's just you just get a and we had my two sisters so you're getting a check of six hundred dollars times three every month from the state and it's just to them so it was like money in the bank to these people so i won't bore you with that story but basically we got adopted that took about a year process because when you're in the foster care their goal is to get you adopted right so i had two things working against me I was mexican well i had three things i was mexican i was a male and i was older so they don't really get adopted you're generally going to be statistically just part of the system forever if you're those three things Um,
0: seven years old is old to be adopted huh
1: yes seven is like i would not have thought that yeah i think four uh, one obviously newborn to about three is the the highest percentage and then after that it just drops drastically and once you reach 12 i think you have like a 10 percent chance to get adopted by somebody who's not in your family wow so so that 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 was crazy so we get adopted and but before you can get adopted you have this like trial period like a seven day trial <laughs> weird thing that We go to live with the family. And so my grandparents of my mother were pretty involved. Um, And we'll come back to that later, but they had a stipulation that they wanted us to go into an ethnic family. Um, They wanted the family to be religious. So Christian values, Catholic, and that was about it. That was the two lines that they checked. Hey, are you you ethnic and do you go to church? Now, you can say you're ethnic and you can say you go to church. Nobody's ever going to check on you, is what I learned. So we get adopted, myself and my two sisters. We go to this family and we're there for seven days and it's fine. So then they stick us there permanently. Um, so we're living with this family about three months in. My sister falls off. They have. They live on a farm and they are me- they are Mexican and they live on a farm. And my sister falls off the horse and hits her head and they're like freaking out because my grandparents get visitation rights and they knew that my grandparents would come asking, asking questions. So they came and they threatened me, they said, Hey, if you tell your parents how your sister fell off the horse, you know, you have to go back to the foster care. So
0: was it like neglect that your sister fell off the horse or is it just like a kid on the playground who fall, like kids get hurt and fall all the time.
1: Yeah, to me, I was like, she just fell off the horse. I don't, I wouldn't, I don't care. But wow. lo, lo and behold, um, this family was basically just using us for the paycheck. Uh, they didn't go to church, they didn't send us to school. Uh, they made us work on the farm. So we were basically farm hands. Um, so now I'm eight and I still don't know any colors, numbers, letters, how to spell anything. So
0: I can, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm, that's interesting to me though. So after you get adopted, there are still paychecks attached to kids who get
1: adopted. Yes. So long story short, I was adopted, not by this family, but the family that I was adopted into got, got checks until I was 18. So they got that times three. So myself and my two sisters, they got just government checks from the treasury right to their mailbox.
0: I had no idea that's how the system, cause yeah, to me that, I, I guess that's an interesting question, right? Because you would hope you would want people who want to better someone's life and like sacrifice, right? I, I, I want a child. I want to sacrifice. I don't want to like monetarily incentivize people to want kids around. I want it to just be genuine. I want them to like a child's going to add to the, to our life. They're going to add to the richness of our life. I don't want them to be like, oh, this child is going to add to our bank accounts. And hopefully we like them. Like that's – but I guess you need – do you need the paycheck? Do you think that's a good policy?
1: Yeah, I don't – you know, I've never actually thought about the money.
0: Um, yeah, I think about money way too much. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, No. you're fine. Um, I've never – I, I don't know. That's a good question. I think, I think there should be some type of financial monetation for bringing on a child to your home. I don't know what that should be. I don't know if that should be more regulated and get, granted, this is the nineties. Yeah. So I don't think you can like t- compare 2022 to now or now to then, because I hope to God there's more, there should be more, uh, like of a, like a Where's this money going, type of a thing? You know, how's it being spent? Yeah, a little bit of yeah. an accounting
0: show. It's like, are you putting any into like some sort of college fund at least? Can you drop yeah. off a receipt? Like, yeah, almost like you don't want people to get audited because that sucks, right? Like, you do want to have the right. freedom of like, I don't know, we went out to dinner. Like, I got to ask for, I got to save receipts from a dinner from Chick fil A. But right. like at the same time, you want to make sure, I don't know, you got like three pairs of sneakers.
2: Right. right.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: like, be- you got some winter boots.
1: There should be proper vetting um, better than they did in the 90s for placing children uh, in homes. I mean, and you can look at the economics of it. If you look at like Reaganomics and the increase of unwanted children, they go hand in hand. Uh, Same as um, like uh, the abortion laws, Uh, more unwanted children is going to be more of a burden on the state. Um, and that's, what does that, you know, you can say that, but what does that look like? Well, it looks like exactly what I'm telling you. It looks like children that go into homes where people are like, well, I don't really need another kid, but you know, we could do it, you know, and we get paid to do it. So fuck it, you know, let's, let's do it.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking of like, if I'm a person without means, and if I'm used to manipulating systems to feel like I get ahead, mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be wrought with, it's just going to be fraud, fraudulent.
1: Right. And I bet you there was a ton of fraud with those checks, with those. I mean, anytime you add money into people that they, that it's kind of unexpected, I guess Yeah, there's, you know, something's going to go left Something's gonna go right. Things are gonna go crazy. You know, like you hope you get all good people, but that's a wish. Yeah. You know, that's a pipe dream. So these people got in trouble because I did say something um, to my grandparents and something to add to the story. My grandparents are very awesome, good Christian, very down to earth, good jobs. My dad or my uh, uh, grandpa was a mechanic, my mom was a teacher very blue collar. So they got upset that the system was just fucking terrible. They were like, fuck this. So they applied to adopt me and my two sisters. Yeah.
0: dude, I was kind of wondering about that. Have you spoken to them or do you know why that didn't just happen initially?
1: They had told me that they wanted us to have a chance to live with other Hispanic parents that were the right age that could give us a normal life. And so they wanted to give us that chance. So at the time I was like, well, why would you do that? Why would you just not adopt us? Well, they were 65 years old. They were about to be retired. Mm -hmm. You know, they taking on three little kids is a big ask, you know? So when they realized that the system was just fucking terrible, they put their foot down they said, okay, we're going to adopt them because you guys are all fucking this up. (laughs) So there's no laws on the books for grandparent rights. At the time in 1996, so my dad, my my grandpa, he changed the laws with his friend. This guy, he was a governor of Oregon. They changed a law that brought in called grandparent adoptive rights in Oregon. So they gave grandparents kind of like a write off before kids can get adopted. So if you were to, you know single mom over here. And she's like, I don't want my kids anymore. The grandparents can step in and say, we'll take the kids. So they have that right now. Whereas before grandparents had no rights.
0: That's insane to me that they didn't have right. Like that just seems, I think if someone dies and you don't have a will, don't you just start like at the closest circle of spouse or child, and then you expand that circle, right? Okay. Parents, And then you're like out to cousins. I I, I thought that would just be natural with adoption as well.
1: Yeah, no. So it's your next of kin has the right, the opportunity to say, yes, I'll, you know, take on these kids. But then after that, if the state, the state can do whatever they want, the state can say, yeah, uh, we're going to put them in foster care. Grandparents have no right. Now they do. Grandparents can say, Hey, we want to have these kids. So it's been a long time now. Was that 28 years, 30 years now? But in 1995, 96, that those laws weren't on the books, and you have to think about it. Modern day adoption is not had; only been going on for 10 to 15 years. Before that, a lot of it was out of country adoption—Vietnam, uh, uh, China, Japan, uh, Korea. A lot of kids in the United States were just living in the system, while people who wanted to adopt were going. we leaving the country to get kids. Yeah. Don't know why.
0: I never understood that either. I was like, I, 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 I think Kanye had like some sort of line, like, I want to get rich like white kids or like white people with a black kid money. <laughs> and it's like, why do you have to go out and adopt someone from Africa when we have plenty of needy people here? Like, why do you have to find that Russian baby? There's American babies around.
1: Yeah, it, I I don't I don't understand it. Like, I did um, I was in adoption groups like my whole like life as a kid, and they'd be like, "Oh, I'm from Vietnam. I'm from Korea. I'm from Senegal." You know, I'd be like, "Oh, I'm from Oregon." Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm the weird one here, you know? And but I never really understood that. But I've also never pressed it. I think. Um, I think some people, if that's their thing, sure. But I mean, it should be more incentivized to adopt a, a child from the United, from the United States.
0: Yeah. We're or, or like even free. Like, so I don't know, I've always heard money, like it's 15, 20 grand to adopt a kid from another nation and like, okay, well then like incentivize it to be free in America. But I wonder how much of it is like a savior complex. Of them being like, oh, the society over in that country is so terrible, where if I bring the kid over, I'm providing a better environment. And maybe they trust the system. So if you're already in America, they feel like, oh, the kids in America already have all the supports, where these children do not. So I'm going to give them, I'm going to be able to be the pathway for them to get those supports, the American dream.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also, if you, a lot of adoption agencies back in when adoption started getting bigger and like less frowned upon, I guess you could say, was um, a lot of religious groups were in charge of it. So you go down to the church,
0: missionary.
1: Yeah, and they would have a connection with the missionary in X country. And so it cost you $15,000 then. You know, pockets were getting greased along the way. So it made it more financially um, beneficial to the church to, you know, to have these missionaries that they could funnel children, you know, to these parents in the United States. and now i'm I'm starting to get into a something I don't know full topic about. I know a little bit, but anything more than that, I would be speaking off the cuff.
0: <laughs> That's you all know? I do, my friend. I love speculating. <laughs> I love reckless speculating thought exercises to be like, what does kind of make sense?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I at least have a little bit of uh of knowledge into the arena, but yeah, fuck it. You know, church is crazy. They, uh, they were selling kids, you know?
0: <laughs> so, uh, oh, dude, how? So Let me ask about your grand or your grandpa or your grandparent. Now, I, I think you've said dad a couple of times. So do you call your grandfather dad or how should I refer to him?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I call him dad. Um, I don't know my birth dad. I never have. I don't know his name. I know nothing about him. Uh, He was uh, uh, undocumented from Mexico, and he hooked up with my mom, who was like from Salem, Oregon, good Christian girl. So Mm. that's what alcohol can do. Put you in bad situations. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt.
0: So how did your dad... Did your dad like actually have a relationship with the governor? Did he just write letters? What how, what was a little bit about yeah. how this law came to be? Because that's really cool.
1: Yeah. So um, Salem, Oregon, Salem is the capital of Oregon. So all the lawmakers are right, right there. And this guy's name was Kevin Mannix um, and John Kitzhopper. They went to my parents' church. So they saw him every day. Every Sunday, you know, and he's like, hey, I need help getting my kids adopted. You know, I want to create this bill. And my godfather is uh, a guy named Vance Day, and he is um, pretty high up in the Republican Party. He's a big judge here in Oregon. The four of those guys all teamed up together. And this bill, I kid you not, now that I'm an adult and I look at how government works, I can't even believe that they got this fucking bill passed like government does not do anything, you know, yeah, but I guess like you, every now and then you get this unicorn bill that everybody just agrees on. And it's zero, it
0: got zero partisanship in that, right? Like who's going to be the guy or girl or the person, the pronoun, yeah. who's going to be the pronoun that's going to stand up and be like, nah, we want to keep kids away from family and in a system.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's so- low time. And thank God that no nobody, no pronoun that did, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was listening um, to the innocence project and about wrongful convictions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's another one where appeals and proceedings, and there are different laws where you can be found innocent, but you don't have like the right to a trial. I, I wasn't able to get the, like the specifics of the details, but the gist of these people coming on, um, it was on Rogan's podcast. They were like, who's going to say no to this? Who says it's okay that innocent people are in jail. Shouldn't this be like a quick measure, a quick law turnaround where if you advocate for yourself, we get you in front of a judge in a timely manner, like, or that cops who plant evidence should get arrested. There should be no statute of limitations on that when that's discovered. Like you fucking put someone in jail for 30 years cause you planted evidence where you made shit up and like that we're okay with that. Like, no change the law, put them in jail, have them have consequences for their terrible action of taking the freedom of other people.
1: Yeah, that I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, the hard part, I think that people are scared of that. If somebody found innocent, that somebody's feet are going to get dragged over the hot coals and. I agree. They should be dragged over the hot coals, but the more important thing is that somebody who should be free is free. Yeah. You know, you should, that's, that's the more important thing than somebody getting in trouble for planning drugs or, or lying or this or that, you know, like,
0: yeah, the, the criminal intent to me, it's like if you purposefully lie to put someone in jail, that's completely fucked up. If you like interpreted evidence in a certain way, right? Like if you were a judge and you heard some evidence, or if you were a lawyer and you put the case and you wrongfully convicted someone as a judge, like that shouldn't be on the judge. But if right. evidence is planted, like, no dude, that's an intention. And, um, I don't know. it's a total side note, but basically it almost goes back to that money, the money conversation with, there's a metric and you know, cops are good cops. If they have a higher arrest rate or if they write a lot of tickets, and right. lawyers are good lawyers if they get a lot of convictions judges are good yep. judges if their decisions don't get overturned so the entire system is metriced and it's incentivized to be correct and like that's kind of fucked up man like they're the good ones with the higher stats and it corrupts the system almost like the adoption where you're in essence it sounds good yeah we want to give money so that the kids get money well you're incentivizing people maybe scrupulous people to get some easy money and apparently for you like easy farm labor for a year. That's so fucked up. The farm labor parts insane to me, man.
1: Yeah. What's funny is I cannot remember what I did yesterday at work, but I can like picture (laughs) the fucking house like to the T and I'm like terrible memory, but I'll go through, um, I'll go back home and I'll tell my biological mom. I'm like, why does this look familiar? And she's like, oh, well we lived here, uh, we were homeless, and we were living on somebody's couch for like six months. And I'm like, really? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I- how do you remember this? You were like four. And I'm like, I don't remember it specifically, but the bushes, the houses, the, the, this hill, I'll just remember things and I'll just ask like, hey, why is, this, why is this a thing to me? And we moved around a lot. That's the thing, when you live in a trap house, you just kind of are all over the place, but you're not really going any you're not really going anywhere. You're just around. You know? It's like homeless people that you're like, eh, they don't live here, but they're just kind of always around. Yeah. And so that's my that was kind of like my I got so excited when I finally got adopted by my grandparents. And I do call my grandma grandma, but I call my grandpa dad. And the reason for that is because my biological mother was still in my life. She was still around. So I still called her mom, but I called my grandma, grandma. And she was totally fine with that, like, great with that. So I get adopted, I'm like eight, and they send me to elementary school, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is, I'm supposed to play with these kids, like, usually I just sit there, you know? and. They put me in this like special needs class. They didn't know what the fuck I had, you know? Back in the 90s, you could get diagnosed some crazy shit and not even be close to it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I think you're schizophrenic. And I'm like, what? You know, they're like, oh, okay, never mind, never mind. You're uh, autistic. Like, what? Maybe I just need a book, you know, teach me some letters. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, what you were, it seems like you were neglected, right? You just didn't have proper interaction, educational interaction from an adult.
1: Yeah, I had none. So it wasn't that I had any issues. I just had no opportunity.
2: Yeah. Exposure.
1: Exposure to these things. And I kid you not, I went in in third grade to this thing called, um, chapter one. So you go into the special class and then by fifth grade, I was caught up. I was with all my homies in fifth grade. So, I had, I had learned all my cursive, my letters, my writing, all that shit. And then I got into sports and then that was like my saving grace like that, that if I could just like swing a bat and hit a ball or kick a ball or tackle somebody, like I was good. So that kind of put me in a good spot, you know?
0: Yeah, man. It's funny for so many kids. Um, so I'm a teacher and, uh, I also, I coach basketball. And how many teachers with struggling students want to use this sport and like as a punishment or as a threat? Like, you better do good in this class or I'm gonna tell your coach and you won't be able to play. And you're like, or we could look at it like, hey, the kid's coming to school. And even if they're not the best, maybe they're just not naturally good at whatever reading. Maybe they just really don't enjoy writing stories, but they really enjoy this sport. Don't we want them to find success? Do we want them feeling like shit about themselves all day? Can can't they go out and find success and like build their self-esteem up? And then maybe that will translate to the classroom because now you got a little bit of confidence to you, now you got some swagger, you're willing to take risks. And it, it's been it's that that always befuddles me when teachers want to take away the sports from kids who like that's the highlight of their school day.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then you're missing a huge opportunity to to if, let, let's say the teacher did follow through like okay you're not going to you're not going to baseball practice because you didn't whatever yeah do your homework yeah
0: failed a test didn't turn it yeah you're,
1: you're missing a huge opportunity to turn that around for that child um because i know that when i went to baseball i didn't even know i didn't know any rules if i swung at the ball i thought it was out you know so i had to <laughs> learn that there was actually three swings before you're out you know so Once I learned that, I was like, oh, there's more opportunities with failure. Like, just because you swing and you miss doesn't mean you're out. You can swing and a miss, but then you're going to be up again. Once I learned that, I was like, oh, it translated to my life as like an eight year old. I was like, oh, you can swing and fail, but you get another opportunity. And I remember the first time I ever hit the ball, it was like, I went like, oh, for like nine. And I finally, like, hit the ball. And I kid you not, like, it felt like I was batting a thousand. I was like, like i'm good you know and then like i just remember that feeling and i was like okay school's good now you know family's good now off of one stupid fucking hit when i was nine years old you know
0: found some success after difficulties like that's what so many kids who go through trauma need man you just need you need a win you need success after struggling and then it can snowball
1: absolutely absolutely and i see it in kids like i volunteer um with these foster kids and they're just like, they're either down on themselves or they're so hype on themselves that they don't, can't get brought to reality, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yo, just relax, be patient. You know, they're just like almost like on a sugar high at all times. But I think that's, they're just like, they're just anxious, you know, because they're no, they can't relax in a relaxed setting. They just have to be like, like you see some of these boys, they're like hands are like in a fist. For no reason. I'm like, yo, what's up, dog? You know, like, relax a little. And then eventually, they're almost like putting up a toughness. I'm like, are you 12 or are you 9? Like, relax. Yeah. Just just relax. It's like, I've been there, man. Just just relax. I don't even know what relax looks like to you. Do you even know what relax looks like to you? It's a feeling. Just let it all go, you know? And when they do that relax moment and then they, they see it and feel it, it's almost like they now know what relax is like.
2: Dude, yeah,
0: man, you're making me really think. I like how hard would it be to relax somewhere that is not yours? If you don't have that stability. Right. And if you're always looking to get out, right? Like you're not you're not enjoying there. That's not the goal is to be there because what is relaxing? It's like enjoy where you're at. Like, fuck that, I'm not trying to enjoy where I'm out in foster care, right? Or I got taken away from somebody. (laughs) Or I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like, how can you possibly relax?
1: Right. And I don't think you, I don't think I could relax. I don't think I ever did relax. I think I finally, like, got adopted by my grandparents. And it took me, like, a year before I even was, like, a deep breath, you know? It was, like, oh, this is my bed? Like, perhaps. (laughs) how long, you know, like for this week, for this month, you know, like, no, this is yours. You know, I was like, what does that mean? Like, can I write on it? (laughs) You know, like, can I graffiti it? Yeah. Whatever you want to put stickers on it, you know? And then then I got into like customizing my room like so much because I was like, that made me feel like, Oh, this is mine. You know, my parents like, okay, relax with the graffiti a little bit. Like (laughs) it was like, all right, cool. So then it turned into, the, like sports like Once I started putting trophies and stuff up, I was like, never look back, man. I was like, good to go. But the crazy thing is my sisters did the opposite. They got into like a relaxed situation and they turned to like smoking and like going out party and like talking to dudes. And I was like so focused on never having that feeling again. And I mean, to this day, they're good now, but. They definitely had a hard, a hard time kind of, uh, getting their shit together.
0: That's interesting. I would have thought it, like girls I would feel would be more family oriented, more home oriented, more care oriented, right?
1: Yeah, I think they were angrier than I was. Uh, uh, I think, um, you know, I look back and I'm like, you know, the old adage nature versus nurture. So we all came from the same nature and nurture <laughs> but we we took it in and dealt with it differently they dealt with it more internally and I dealt with it with sports mm. so I just I didn't need a role model I didn't need anybody I just needed me and some competition whereas my sisters didn't like sports they needed a role model they needed somebody to like teach them makeup Teach them etiquette, teach them how to be a woman. Whereas my grandmother was cut from, I mean, she was born in like the 40s, you know, so she's not teaching them how to be like 90s girls, you know. They want to listen to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And my grandma's like, here, listen to Elvis.
2: You
1: know, so it's like a huge disconnect for them. And I feel bad because they didn't have like a younger woman in their life to be like, hey, this is how we conduct ourselves and not to be like, women need to be told how to conduct themselves, but everybody needs somebody to look up to. That's, that's a role model, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, typically nuclear family starts with the parents, right? Like you emulate them. And then all of a sudden you want to break away from them and find your own identity. And then you tend to circle back and like reconnect with the values that you were raised with. I think that's the standard, right? That's that's what is supposed to happen. And when you miss the modeling early on and then you just start seeking identity without having any foundation or anchor or tether to like bring you back to what you liked at some point. Cause all kids like whatever they're around till a certain age, then they just want to be their own person. But if you don't have that foundation, if you don't have that memory, man, you're just, you're in, you're in a new galaxy. You're just, you're in space, drifting, going wherever you want.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely. And I think it's easy for boys. Because you say, you kind of wear our heart on our sleeves to an extent. Like, I like to I like to watch baseball. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm all pent up, pent up energy. Let me go shoot the basketball outside. I'd shoot a basketball till nine o'clock at night. But my sisters were just like walking around. They were just like, what are we supposed to do? You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I didn't, I don't know. Like, I would like wrestle with them and like do the people's elbow from the, my couch. But then, like when it came to girl stuff, you know, and my my parents grandparents provided a wonderful home, you know. But imagine living at your grandma's, you know, like yeah, grandma. Man. But it's hard to live there.
0: Yeah, and there's probably some like con- like self consciousness. I think of it now, um, and I, as a teacher, you can see it. I. I, I the... I have experience with kids who are raised with grandparents and kids who are raised with parents, right? Just Uh dealing with them and listening to them talk with their friends in the hallway over lunch on school buses. So I get to like hear kids. It's almost like I'm a spy. I hear middle school kids chirp at each other all the time. I've been doing it for fucking 15 years at this point. There's like, at least now it's less stigma, but there's still a conscientiousness of like inviting someone over for a sleepover. Or like you go out somewhere, get, you get picked up after school, and it's like, oh, that's your, wait, you're always with your grandma. You know, and like I wonder if that, how did that, did that fuck with you at all? Was that a stigma or some sort of um awkwardness to you, or you were just happy yeah, to have it, that home?
1: No, it always fucked with me. Um, it's, it wasn't a matter of pride. Granted, back then I didn't know the difference between pride or not pride. Just whatever but I remember thinking like well it's my grandparents and they drive a Buick you know like pick me up around the corner you know like all the other parents are coming in like Toyota Forerunners, you know like SUVs were getting popular so I'm like ah fuck you got a Buick Regal 1989 like pick me up around the corner you know so I go around the corner and I like, ah you know they're like I wanted to play baseball so my grandpa had bad Hands. So my grandma threw me the ball. And she would be like, Well, back when I was a kid, I was a Detroit Tigers fan. And I'm like, I like Ken Griffey Jr. because he wears his hat on backwards. Like, <laughs> there's a huge difference, you know? So I was always like embarrassed and always like, Well, I can't talk to my parents because they're not young. You know, I always look at them as old. So that's where like programs really are beneficial. So like big brothers big sisters mm. um so you can interject um some youth you more youth you know quotations youth because <laughs> uh, these kids think we're old but we're like 32 35 you know and uh so you'd be like and i see to my own nephews and nieces you know where i'm like the cool uncle you know because i drive a suv and i've got a system in my car you know and i've got tinted windows, whereas grandma and grandpa drive a Buick and they're like old, you know? So <laughs> I do like to inject, you know, myself into my nephews and nieces so that they can get still like a youthful, I wear Jordans, you know, and they they view me as like old guy, but young guy, you know? Yeah. So it is hard, but at the same time, like I was more worried about having a roof over my head and like an actual meal. You know, the fact that I could worry that my grandparents were old was kind of like a bonus, like, uh, well, at least I have a family.
2: Yeah. So. First
0: first world problem type stuff, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it was weird because they didn't, they were very, very um, Christian, white, grew up in the Midwest. Now they're raising three little Hispanic kids that want to learn about being Hispanic. So they had to deal with that as well, you know, and I wanted to know. I was really into soccer, and I'm like, okay, who's on the Mexican soccer team? My parents like, I didn't even know Mexico had a soccer team. Like, (laughs) you know, so it was like, okay, well, I had to seek out my own knowledge. They didn't know anything, you know, and I like like baseball. The reason I like baseball is because they like baseball, but I like soccer personally, and they didn't know shit about soccer, you know. So, but it's funny because I also gravitated towards all the other Mexican kids in my town. Even though I didn't speak Spanish, I had two white parents. Everything I did had nothing to do evolve around, like, anything Mexican culture. Yeah. And even my neighborhood, I lived in the white side, not the Mexican side. But still, I gravitated always towards finding my way to the Mexican kids and or the Mexican cultural things, you know, and I don't know why it just must be, you know, nature where I'm, I have gravitated towards it, you know?
0: Yeah, I was actually literally just thinking that and I'm looking at the name that I wrote down, you know, Gonzalez and I'm like, so subconsciously, are you aware of that on some way? Or is it more like when you looked in the mirror, you just looked more lo- Hispanic than you did white?
1: Yeah, I was always so I've always not learned Spanish because I was always mad at my father. I equated Spanish to like failure or like not being there. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to learn. It was like it was like out of spite. I was like, I'm not going to learn Spanish out of spite, you know. And all the other kids, oh, well, why don't you speak Spanish? You know, Antonio, no hablo español, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, don't fucking worry about it, man. Like. <laughs> You know, but at the same time, I was ashamed of myself because I was like, I need to do this. Right. So, you know, I never knew what to do. I was just, I just never knew. I was just always in between. I was like, never wanted to make anybody mad, but never wanted to join anybody's team kind of thing. I was mm-hmm. like, talk about riding the fence of everything. Like, that was me. Like, like in high school, I knew everybody, but I didn't know anybody, you know, like, I was like, hey, what's up, Sean? Sean? you know, ASB president, but it was also like, what's up Javier who doesn't even barely speak English. Like I was everywhere, you know, like I was the kid jumping from table to table at the lunch table just to like talk to everybody and be cool with them. You know,
0: did you feel like you had a, like a best friend or a social group that was, um, a, a close social group at some point?
1: So I was pretty heavily involved with the church. So, my parents are non denominational Christian, which is basically just like Christian, I guess, you know? Cool <laughs> like, Christian, you know? Like we had a rock band. At I was
0: about to say, dude, the non denominational ones are the ones who make like the decent Christian music, not the gospel, but like the rock Christian music. Right.
1: Yeah. They're like, all right, we're getting hard tonight. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of light. Like, <laughs> you guys know this is just creed, right? Like, you know? <laughs> so, I kind of, I always gravitated towards my church group. Uh, because they didn't ask questions they were just like whatever like the good thing about religion is everything's topical you know like you go to church you look at your clothes say hi see who's there listen to the message and then you leave you know and then maybe you could join like a small devotional group and that's where you might open up a little bit but you're not opening up on Sunday morning when everybody's there, you know, yeah. same with, the group, you know, you just kind of like go there and have fun and check out the chicks and, you know, see what other chicks are coming, you know, go to young life and just yeah. whatever, grab your first beer, smoke your first joint at young life. And that's kind of how it goes, you know? <laughs> so I just kind of like rode that train. And within my high school, I was always very popular, like fairly attractive guy, you know, charismatic, but I never like had a group. That I was always, or a best friend, you know, like I figured if I have one friend when well, I could have 25 friends, <laughs> you know, I was just friends with everybody.
0: Yeah. I, it's a interesting, like, would, would it be psychological or sociological thought? Because I, not to like pin it on anything, but you wonder, is it a trust issue where, or is it maybe an identity issue? that I guess my, that might go back to a trust issue where I don't want to be vulnerable or I don't want to need somebody and get now they know about me. I can get made fun of, or I'm going to be exposed in some way. It's just, it's interesting because on the flip side, you would think if you come from an unstable background, you would crave stability and you would want like that one friend, like you would latch onto them and almost become like dependent on the relationship. And that's why I was curious.
1: Yeah, no, you kinda of hit it on the head because I'm kinda of that way now still. Like people will be like, I just went on my trip to Pittsburgh and um, rather than my roommate watching my dog, I hired somebody and said, Don't worry about it. I'll hire somebody. And he's like, Why would you just not have me do it? And in my head I'm thinking, well, I don't want you to have anything on me, or I don't want to, like I don't like I don't like people doing things for me. You know, and I just figure that nothing lasts forever. So I don't want you to owe me anything. I don't want to owe you anything. I'll just pay a third person to come in here and and handle the business. And that's kind of how a lot of my relationships are currently as an adult, that nothing lasts forever. Like there's no point in a best friend, you know, just kind of have, I have a group of like 10 guys that we're all just kind of like topically friends, you know, fantasy football friends, golf, go golfing go to the brewery, but not like a single best friend, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. That's the, I, I think that's, that's tough. Um, I, I don't think I have a super um, open, like trust someone fully friend at this point in my life. But I did growing up, you know, that just like knew fucking everything about you. And um, he just always spent, like, it was always like, if it's the weekend, we're either going to be at my house or we're going to be at his house, you know, and you live that way for three, four years. But it, it it just helps you to to get through shit, you know, and it's it's not like I'm boohooing you or anything, man. But that's a fucking like that can be a scary place to be as a person is when shit's going down, you don't have that person that, you know, you can just be real with when you need to be real and honest with somebody that's fucking tough, dude, especially overcoming the shit that you're overcoming.
1: Yeah. I think I've had people, I definitely have had people that have come into my life for a period of time. Like when I was in the military, I had my two best friends, but I knew that was only temporary. So I was just very like open on a day to day basis, you know, like, Hey, let's go party and let's go drinking let's, Let's chase some tail. You know, I trust you. You trust me. I've got a hundred bucks. That means you have a hundred bucks kind of friendship, you know, like hoorah, rah <laughs> But then I knew it was temporary. So I knew not to get too attached. So I've assumed that most of my very good relationships are always going to be temporary. And so I just always know that's from day one, you know. And the weird thing is I have a girlfriend now. That I'm like very serious with, so it's kind of fucking with my, (laughs) like, like, kind of fucking with my nature here. And I'm just like, I've never had this in a girl before. I just assumed I'd always be like a, you know, uh, what's the actor that's always single? Uh, George Clooney. I was on the George Clooney, uh, (laughs) bang a bunch of tens and then ride off into the fucking sunset. That was my goal, but
0: Grey
1: Fox. Yeah. Not happening. I met this girl, so uh, so now I trust her, and it's pretty serious. So that's a new new chapter of my life. Yeah, <laughs> she's a co COVID girlfriend.
0: She's a COVID girlfriend.
1: Yeah, I met her over our, you know, Seattle. We kind of stretched COVID a little longer than it needed to go. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, I met her at the tail end of COVID when we couldn't really go anywhere. So. We uh we were masked up, so finally she finally took her mask off last year. Got to
0: see her. Stop. <laughs> so it was like um this weird of just popping in like this arranged marriage of like uh, um what what is it not it's not a burka, what's the um scarf hijab yes hijab hijab right and yeah. then like I you like comedy sketch the dude's just fucking praying after on his wedding night he's like, God I hope it's okay the eyes the eyes are a ten. Oh, please, please, please have all your teeth type thing.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. No, that's... Luckily, I met her without a mask on, but the first, like, seven months, we couldn't go anywhere. It was like, hey, you want to come to my house and hang out? You know, like, I'll go to your house. That's about it. So we uh, finally gave... We've been together for over a year and a half, and we went to Pittsburgh to finally meet her family.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, it is serious.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then they're from... I don't know if you're know, familiar with Western Pennsylvania, but it's not what I'm used to. No? No. It's like coal town, like a coal mining town. Um, and it's just old, everything here in Seattle is new. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mostly on the West coast, things are new. Like our really old places are like still Pittsburgh's still like kicking it with, you know, Yeah, like if something says 18 something. We're like, whoa, that's fucking old. I go over there and they're like, Yeah, this fucking building has been going on since seventeen seventy. I'm like, Jesus Christ, tear it down. Looks like shit.
0: <laughs> why do you keep renovating it?
1: <laughs> yeah, like you're renovating shit. Like the piping's bad, you know?
0: You don't have central air. I don't understand why you keep being okay with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Our Airbnb, the the concrete was like three different levels. And I was like, I had to like step on a step
0: to step on a step. Dude, it is. So yeah, because I'm in um, Lewis, near Lewis, Delaware, which is the first town in the first state. That's the moniker. And um, it's like there's shit here, man. Some homes are 1600s, 1500s. You walk through a cornfield and you can see a grave from fucking like 1560.
1: Yeah, that shit's crazy.
0: It's insane to think like people were burying people back then and then making markers of it.
1: Yeah. Her, um, backyard, her, her dad, uh, they don't have fences either. Like here in Washington, every, your plot, your every house has a fence over there. It's like, nobody has fences. So your yard just meets up with somebody else's yard. <laughs> and was Like so odd. Uh, but then the, I'm like, what are those crosses? Like, how many animals do you have die? And they're like, oh no, they just found a Revolutionary War gravesite like two years ago. So now they're marking it. And I'm like, that is absolutely wild. Like, yeah. that's so crazy that that's a thing.
0: <laughs> it really is. It really
1: is. We have Native American, like, obviously, we have Native American, more heavy, heavier Native American things over here on the West. But even then it's like, this was 1869. I'm like, that is so old. But then over there, they're like, no, that's kind of old. You know, this church was built in 1490. And I'm like, that is too soon. Like, (laughs) that's too crazy.
0: (laughs) Why does that, is it, why is that so crazy to you history?
1: (laughs) I think it's crazy that, um, so I started following on Instagram history in color, so there's, uh, they, they take history videos. And then they put color to them. Okay. And so it's weird to see, um, like just history and old things in color. Like you're so detached. I guess I'm so detached being on the West coast. I'm so detached from like first America and what that actually meant. Mm. So if they're doing steel and like 1840, I'm like, I don't even, I can't even fathom that, you know, like but then I see these houses over there and I'm like, oh, this makes way more sense. Now that I see all these, the architecture and the houses and the churches, like you could throw a stone from one church to another church over there. And I don't even know anybody that goes to church here. <laughs> like, like I have nobody, nobody that I even know, like goes to church. Yeah. So like that in itself is a culture shock when I go from the west coast to
0: the east coast yeah that's something I hadn't thought about either but I wonder when you know you land and you come to the country and you're so vulnerable you just start praying to god needing that assistance but then like wouldn't you need that also as you go west or did the reason people want to go west was to get rid of the like to get away from all those hypocritical motherfuckers on the east coast
1: Well, I think that's why we came to the United States in the first place, was to get rid of those hypocritical motherfuckers, you know, because they wanted to be free of the church. They wanted a land that was not controlled by the church. So they come here, and I think the people that went west were like our modern day entrepreneurs, people that took risks, you know, and those are the people that settled here. And I still think that's true. I think people who make that trek out west, there's something to them. You know, it takes a lot of guts to just up and leave the whole east coast and come out west because there's a different beast out here. You know, it's just bigger and less people and different, you know?
0: No water, fires all the time. Sounds fires like hell.
1: All, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, we, we have water. It's just... Uh, <laughs> just different you know
0: <laughs> yeah no I, that, that's all we hear on the news over here is, it's all about how the rich people in Los Angeles are skirting around the water laws how yards are taken away from people's ability to shower you know irrigation systems how every every single lake out there is going to be non-existent within 20 years
1: yeah it's so funny because um, I personally love California like I've no problem california i love it i'll go there i love the beach love wine country love san francisco sacramento and then people come like her family was like oh i'd go to the i'd go to seattle but i would never go to california i'm like why like they have the fourth largest gdp in the world they're clearly doing something right like and they're like well i would never go there because all the insert the blank you know whatever you're told you know in reality is there are lakes drying up there are some bad shit but there's also good shit you know there's also awesome shit you know a lot of people here are very conscious of recycling comp like I'm a big recycler composter and my girlfriend doesn't even know the difference between recycling and compost you
2: know
1: (laughs) and I go to Pittsburgh and I'm like I feel some type of way because I'm throwing everything in one garbage can I'm like, well, this is plastic, and I didn't eat out of it, so it's not a dirty plastic. Where do I put the clean plastic? (laughs) And they're like, I just fucking throw it in the garbage can. I'm like, ah, all right, fine. You know?
0: God, that is so true. Yeah, it's taken us a while uh, over here to just appreciate nature. Although, like, we seem to like nature. I don't know what it's about. Man, let me ask you this. Was that the first, um, like, girlfriend family that you met? Or, like, first time you had to go meet? Someone you were into their family?
1: Um, it's the first one as a real adult. I met <laughs> I had a, I had a girlfriend when I was like twenty two, and I I went and played on her dad's softball team, and he didn't give a fuck about me. I didn't give a fuck about him. But this is the first one that I've ever met a girl's parents, and I was like, "Hey, I love your daughter." You know, and that was scary.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So leading up to that how are you coping are, are you giving yourself pep talks? Do you have like a, a playlist you got like your beats on and you're, you know, you're like rolling your neck, walking up to the door with your hype music.
1: Playing. Um, you know, I did not do that. I was more scared on, and this sucks, but I was more scared on a, a political, uh, different political platforms, I guess. Uh, and it sucks that that's a thing because they I got labeled as, like, uh, Seattle, you know, chop Chaz liberal guy, you know? And I'm like, I was like, okay, I didn't protest. I didn't do all these things that you guys see on the news. You know, yes, I'm from Seattle, but I've not given one iota of where I stand politically, but I was already put in a box. So I was like, all right. And I'm also 10 years older than her. So... Oh. Yeah, so there's a couple. There's like a couple dynamic things here going. Where I would consider myself independent, literally down the middle, maybe middle left. Um, but I'll never fly a flag. I'll never put a bumper sticker on my car. I'll just vote, and then that's it. You know, you'll never see me on Facebook putting who what I think or yada yada. So within the first five minutes of getting there, it's like. 10 biden jokes you know like where do you stand and i'm just like it's like i don't want to do this you know like i don't i don't i don't want to go down that road you know and her whole family you know grandpa aunt aunt cousin it's just politics all day you know fox news in the background of the tv and i'm just like could we put the baseball game on you know like that's (laughs) kind of where my heart's at (laughs) you know so no, I wasn't necessarily hyping myself up. I'm very confident and being older than her, I'm more confident than probably any guys that she's brought around. So I was like, I'm fine. I know who I am, you know, whatever. So I didn't have to impress anybody in my, in my eyes. I was good to go, you know? Man, that's,
0: I wonder if the distance helps the fact that you're so far removed from them, it's like, yeah, maybe I'll only see them once or twice a year versus, oh, every Sunday. So now I got to make sure they like me because we brunch 10 a.m. every Sunday.
1: 100%. 100%. I was like, I even told myself that, God damn, thank you for that 1500 miles (laughs) because I needed it, you know, and I'm not saying Seattle's perfect. I'm not saying the West Coast is perfect. I'm not saying any of that shit. But it's a lot of, it's very politically relaxing here. Hmm. Like there's not a ton of flags, not a, nobody tells you what they think. It's just kind of like, is what it is, you know, like that is a good thing. Whether you're a deep red state, you probably pretty relaxed too, because there's no point in voting if you're a blue person, because the red's going to win, right? Same with over here. The blue is going to win. So it's just kind of like nobody talks politics here because everybody just votes blue. Hmm. I mean, neither right or wrong, but it doesn't create a lot of friction. Politically. Politically friction.
0: Is your girlfriend into politics since her family so into it?
1: Yeah, she is. And the first thing her grandpa said, she said, she looked at her and was like, you still into politics? And she's like, "Uh, not really. (laughs) <laughs> and she told me she's told me she said i enjoy being out here because i get challenged you know and i've never once told her what she should think or this or that i just prefer to give her like hey here's a another viewpoint you know and the big thing that we've been arguing about not arguing but was the uh pact act are you familiar with the pact act no it was for veterans for burn pits so in uh camp lejeune they threw literally everything in these burn pits um bodies gas food trash they were just giant pits that they burned everything well all those fumes and those um uh, toxins that they were taken in has created a lot of uh, cancer hmm. create a lot of issues for uh afghan iraq veterans uh, camp leatherneck lejeune even on navy ships a lot of these burn burn pits happened so uh, if you get a chance look it up but like john stewart was a big advocate for it so basically all it did was give x amount of dollars over 10 years to veterans who are exposed to these toxins to get health care to through the va well you think, like we talked about, one of those things, you think, great, we all love veterans, right? Who doesn't love a good veteran, you know? yeah. Who doesn't want to take care of a veteran with cancer from fighting? The problem is when you get out of the military and you get discharged and you go to TAPS class, they ask you, "What are your what's your medical issue? You're like, okay, well, this is what I've got. I got my leg blown off, or I got some ring in my ear, or uh, I'm suicidal, whatever all those things may be. Some things are tangible and some things are not. And they only care about the tangible things the day you sign out. There's other tangible issues such as suicide and these burn pits and et cetera. But the burn pits are what I'm talking about specifically now that they're saying, hey, you were exposed to it then, but you're not seeing, res- seeing issues till five, ten years later. You know, So it's like the military likes to be more objective than subjective in that regards, where they say, well, you didn't have that issue five years ago when you got out. Like, well, pretty sure science will tell you that it takes time to develop, you know? So the long story short is 27 Republicans voted against it. And I'm not trying to, like, create a divide between Republicans are bad, Republicans are not bad. I don't care. If it was 27 Democrats, I'd be like, fuck you guys. Same energy. And... Luckily it got passed the second time when there was enough up enough upheaval about it and be like, what the fuck? You know. So it passed. So I was talking to her about it and I'm like, hey, what do you know about the PACT Act? She doesn't know anything. I was like, Well ask your family about it. And her family came back, and was like, Oh, it's uh it's uh excessive government spending. And I'm like, Well that just sounds like a Fox News track regurgitated. I was like, well, how is that excessive government spending? You're helping veterans. Well, there's other things attached to it. Like, no, there wasn't. Look into it. Don't just listen to your family. Look into it. Comes back, she's like, yeah, they fucked up. They <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that it's so easy to just get caught up in your your little vacuum echo chamber, you know? And whether you're left, there's an echo chamber for the left, and there's an echo chamber for the right. You know? So She's younger. So I enjoy kind of like giving her little like tidbits. Like, Hey, check this out, check this out, you know, see where this takes you go don't, down this road,
0: you don't, know, Don't just read the headline. Don't Click just down. read
1: the headline. Yeah. <laughs> go to the very bottom. Scroll. You know, there's a scroll bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Dude, that, I catch myself doing that shit, man. I'm on drudge and I'm like, Oh dude, did you hear about the pack act? And you're like, yeah. What about it? I'm like, I got nothing. I just read the headline Act passes. So I just wanted to know if you'd heard about it. All right. Talk to you yeah. later. And it's like, you can't do anything with that sort of limited knowledge, right? Like yeah, you can't you can. even have an opinion.
1: Yeah, you can't. You And what I like to do, so say I take something like, um, like for instance, the new um, student loan debt forgiveness. I'm like, I don't have any loan. I don't have, I have no debt at all. I have like, I owe like $3,000 on a credit card. Like that's my whole life debt. But I do realize that some people were sold the fact, the dream of going to college and that's good for them. I joined the military. So I went to college. It was all paid for. So I have no debt. So in my mind, I should be against this debt forgiveness in my head. But in reality, it's probably a good thing, you know, and it doesn't take anything away from me. It doesn't hurt my life, but so I punch it in, I punch in Fox news, debt forgiveness, and I just see all the articles and then I punch in CNN. So to me, those are the two polar opposites. There could be more, but that's what I go to. And my takeaway is, eh, you the middle class something to go out, you know, give us, give us something, you know, that was kind of nice.
0: Yeah, so I was thinking about this and two things struck me about the debt relief. So it only goes to government loans right? It doesn't go to private loans. And I don't know, I, I don't know how you get a private loan for a college. I thought basically everybody got government loans on the FAFSA, but maybe not. So to yeah. me, I'm like the government, I've really wondered conspiracy wise, is the government just basically paying itself? <laughs> like why wouldn't you allow private student loans to get the $10,000 as well? Because if it's the government that loaned you the money, And now the government's gonna pay itself. Was the government just not getting money from people? And they were like, hey, we can, we're gonna replenish our own coffers with this money, with this 10 grand.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think they were getting those loans. They weren't getting those payments anyways.
0: That's what I'm saying, right? So they were like, fuck man, we're missing out on all this revenue where we can just give it to ourselves. And the thing that I didn't like about it was Mm -hmm. I thought, Since it's government loans, why don't you just fucking take away the interest? Everyone's like, okay with the student loan, but everyone fucking kills. The interest is what slays them. How about you just take away the interest instead of giving everybody 10 grand? How about if I borrowed, if I took 50 grand out for tuition, that's all I owe is 50 grand, zero interest.
2: Absolutely.
0: Why doesn't that happen?
1: Yeah. Government shouldn't be in the business of price gouging. They should say, Hey, we're going to give you this money on this agreement. And it can't, you shouldn't be able to raise that interest in my mind.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't, I I thought the interest was locked in, but I guess, is it not?
1: I don't think, I don't think it's locked in from what I'm the little bit of research I did on it. I believe that it's, that it's, that it's, it updates to, obviously you pay your loan, so your overall, um, price comes down. So you would think that your payment would go down, but your interest goes up. So it's whatever the government interest is at that time. Oh, it fluctuates.
0: See, that was the thing I didn't like about it either, was that the fucking government just sets one rate for loans. So regardless of credit, and you're like, well, if you're trying to encourage people to go to college to increase your middle class, wouldn't you want to make it as affordable as possible so that their income goes up? And then on the back end, you would get to tax them more. (laughs) Like... I, I, I don't understand the student loan business um, for the government. It's something that perplexes me, but 10 grand ain't shit. And it's like, they should have just chopped interest rates to me.
1: Yeah. I, I would, I would have preferred an interest rate chop. Just you take, you would give you 50, you give us 50, you know, like I don't, I don't, especially if nobody's paying it, like the interest rate doesn't matter if nobody's paying their fucking school loans yeah you know it's just stagnant so basically they're saying you're not going to pay us so let's just pay ourselves with our own money so we at least get something but i'm sure that covers the books somehow you know so they don't they can take that out of the budget spending somewhere i don't know it's weird to me because most people don't get it you know wherever your opinion lies i would say 90 percent of people will probably have no idea what's going on like they're just like Oh, I don't owe ten thousand dollars, but what does that mean? Like, where's that ten thousand dollars going? Where does it come from? Where does it, where where was that ten thousand dollars? You know, I think most people just stop there. They're just like, oh, cool, you know, that's cool, you know. And it's politically, you're kind of making people feel happy, you know, like it's a happy story, you know. Um, inflation's terrible, so let's throw another headline in the mix of. Uh, Hey, you're getting something though, you know, like that's cool. You know, I guess,
0: man, yeah, I, I'm so over just money as a concept in my mind, The, the astronomical, once you got to the billions and trillions, the fact that we can just give out checks and I'm like, so like, man, why do I, what's fucking with me is I got a little bit during COVID into, um, like day trading or swing trading. Oh yeah. And it's the first time in my life where like I'll clear whatever, a thousand dollars, but really I only clear 650 because I got to set aside 35% for taxes. And it never bothered me. Like in my teacher paycheck, I know what my salary is and I know what my paycheck is. And I know there's a $30,000 gap in between what my salary is and what I actually get to bring home in my pocket. It never bothered me. But the fact Mm -hmm. that like I literally have $1,000 in front of me and it's like, no, really, it's 650 Well, why, why do I have to give... What did they do? I guess maybe they helped provide the infrastructure of the internet to my house and electricity, maybe. Like, yeah. may, maybe the military kept me safe enough to sit at home and not worry about bombs being dropped on me while I decided what stock to buy and when to sell it. But sure. I'm like, damn, is that 35%? Like, that, I started getting real, real... That was the moment when I started getting real, real angry at government and taxes
1: yeah no that's fair have you ever thought about um vc and or private like nfts
0: no man i own that that blockchain bullshit i can't i can't get down with it
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's i just started um because i didn't quite i was kind of too busy to realize the whole day trade like stonks uh what was really going on with that. But I got into like uh micro VC. So I'm about like eight thousand dollars in on micro VCs. So on these small companies as a private investor. So like a startup groups. Um so my friend has a has a startup company. So rather than putting a couple thousand dollars into the market or whatever, I put it into his company. Okay. And so I'm just buying shares into his company. And he, it seems cool what he's doing, so that's cool. And then I put another two thousand dollars into a couple of Michael Jordan NFTs. So I band <laughs> together, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I band together. We bought um, a Michael Jordan art piece that's worth like twenty thousand dollars. And so when if that Jordan, I don't even own it. I don't have anything. I just have a legal right to like. 12 percent of this painting and so when that painting goes off to auction or whatever i don't i don't even know where this painting is to be truthfully honest it's like in a museum somewhere <laughs> if, it, if it goes to auction i'll get my 12 percent of whatever the auction sale price is sale price is yeah so uh um, but yeah but then you about- would have
0: to pay that's a gains tax on that so you'd have to, yeah. Yeah, you're but
1: have if, to- um the projection is to be like 200 percent compared to 33% tax gain, you know, so I'm okay with that, but that's, it's like fun to me, you know, like if I lose it, like whatever, you know, not yeah. whatever, but I mean, I'll be pissed, but the sounds of it in my research says it's not gonna be whatever, you know, but I just feel more in control in that regards opposed to government always feeling like your hand's getting fucking, you know, smacked government be like, well, let me give it get a little over here, buddy.
0: Yeah. No, well, dude, you're gonna feel it when you're fucking you drop two grand, all of a sudden you get a check for fifty thousand, and then three years later, you're gonna get a notice from the IRS saying that not only do you owe them fifteen thousand dollars, but in interest and penalties, really they need thirty one from
1: you. Okay. So like, I need to go I need to go offshore. Maybe your next um your next podcast can teach us how to go offshore uh, That's <laughs> with
0: our- in the crypto world. That's why the government's so scared of crypto because they can't fucking if we if people just traded commodities with it easily, the government wouldn't yeah. be able to and pay each other with it. Um, the government wouldn't be able to track it. They wouldn't be able to tax it. It's its own economy within the economy. And I'm sure that's right. super frightening for people who are dependent on tax dollars.
1: It's like Burning Man. You know, like no money. You just go there and trade whatever you whatever you have to offer.
0: Yeah, dude, I've had a bunch of people on who are Burning Man people. And I still don't understand that concept at all. How, like, people don't come back with just nothing but STDs and, like, sexual assault charges.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully there's not those. But, uh, yeah, I have about 10 friends going uh, in a couple days. They've been building all these crazy crazy contraptions like a Trojan horse, like a 20-foot Trojan horse. They've got like a heat protective igloo made out of all this crazy NASA siding stuff. It is a it is a trip. Yeah, they don't so you don't bring money and everything you pack in, so you get a social score. So if you litter or you pee or you shit, you know, you just like whip your dick out and you're just like, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna pee on the side of my tent. They know that. And they'll, they'll, like, give you a credit score. Um, so next year, if you want to come, you they either don't give you a ticket or you have to be somewhere that is more monitored. So they monitor you the whole time. <laughs> no yeah. shit. If like, yeah, if you, like, go there and you bring your tent and you forget a pillow, they will know. They'll be like, hey, you forgot your pillow, your score drops. Therefore, you might not be able to come next year. Or you might have to go somewhere else that's more monitored. So it's very like, pack it in, pack it out, times a hundred. Wow. Yeah, so there's no, the ecosystem there cannot, it's funny because they chose a spot where the ecosystem cannot handle people. Hmm. And so now people come there by the thousands to the spot that they're not supposed to be, party for, I think, two weeks it is, do degenerate shit and then leave. And you'll never know that people were there. Like that's you could go there like a week after Burning Man and you'll never know that people were there.
0: And like, do you buy a ticket to get in originally? Or you gotta like know somebody who's one of the founders?
1: Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Um they do a bunch of like they call them burner events. So I got I've been invited to burner events where you network and you meet people, and then I assume you can just buy a ticket to the hmm. I company? I don't know. I've never, yeah, I've never actually asked them that, how to get a ticket.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and like, who is Burning Man? Like, what's the CEO?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's as as corporate as, it's not corporate. It's not as put together as that. I think it's just I don't know. I may be wrong. Now I'm just now we're back to speculating out of our yeah,
0: asses. Right? Yeah, right. No, there's got to be like a hierarchy organization or something. But yeah, I've had like a bunch of people who go rave DJs, and um, they they like they love the experience. But when I hear about it, it's supposed to be this free love experience. But I'd had no idea about this tracking and this social score. That sounds so fucking Orwellian and scary.
1: Yeah, um, they they've been talking about my friends that were going. I guess, to them, it's not scary. To them, it's like...
0: Accountability.
1: <laughs> self-accountability, yeah. They're like, you can throw your neighbor under the bus for leaving trash. You know, like, hey, Lot 27, noticing a lot of trash on the ground, you know. Um, but they have to police themselves or it wouldn't be allowed. You know, it, it would just get shut down. Like, I'm assuming all those rules are there for a reason because of something that's happened.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, why does it even, why is it allowed to happen? What's the permit? Like somebody has got to file a shit ton of paperwork and then somebody has to be making money on this thing in some oh. way.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there is, but even at the venue, there's no money. There's no like card readers. There's no internet. There's no, like if you hand somebody a 20, it doesn't mean anything what you do is you say, Hey, I've got a massage, um, booth over here. Can I have a drink? Come get a massage type of thing. It's like, uh, a handshake deals.
0: Yeah. Straight bartering.
1: Super bartering. Yeah. Unlike, um, have you seen that Netflix? Um, Oh, the Woodstock Woodstock.
0: Yeah, dude, that blew my mind.
1: <sighs> yeah. That I'm a big festival guy and I just went to, a, have you heard of above and beyond?
0: No, I am not a festival guy at all. Although we got Firefly in Delaware, which is three days.
1: Okay. So it's probably similar, but this is like a rave, um, big house, um, like techno type of show. Um, so we go and, you know, I do my drugs and I hang out and I enjoy myself and (laughs) I just like, it's like my once a year where I just kind of like get my chi back together, do some yoga, you know, and just vibe out in a field basically but that woodstock show gave me anxiety like the whole time i'm just like this is so improperly run like it's just corporate just eating up what a good time should be and that's that show embodied it it was so bad
0: yeah the fact um well to me it was the interesting choice that i kept going to was the music and every time there was a fucking artist on that stage, you were like, how did you think, this does not give me Woodstock vibes. Just the thrashing right. music of Chili Peppers, Limp biscuit. I'm like, who, the, the, I guess Hendrix had an electric guitar, but that is not like Fred Durst yelling all about the Nookie. It's just, yeah. it, it's completely different mindset that goes along with it. And like all you were doing were hyping these people, corn. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Corn? Would corn be at Woodstock? Yeah. No, man. I, I I don't think so.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. It should have been like you
0: Yeah, but maybe not as many people would have wanted to go. But the fact that they allowed the infrastructure to just go to shit with the trash and the basic water, like the basic human needs of that environment started allowing people to deteriorate because the environment itself deteriorated.
1: Right, yeah. And the thing that got me was the guy who ran it all had no remorse to the very end. Yeah. Dude, I
0: can't, he he was fine going on being like, no, security was adequate.
1: Yeah. And he's like, well, it's not my fault. You know, this is like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just one guy. You know, it's like, well, where was, where was Pepsi and all of this? They were there. You know, where were the sponsors? Like, why didn't you make them provide security? You know, Yeah. it's, Don't get me wrong, I'm not pro-government, I'm not not anti-government, I'm not pro-private capitalism, but I'm not anti-capitalism, but there just (laughs) needs to be a sweet spot, you know, there just needs to be a fucking sweet spot, and you can see it when there's not a sweet spot, you're like, oh, this is not good, you know, and that show showed me why we do have government overreach sometimes because of shit like that that gets out of hand and you're like, Oh, okay. Now that's why we have porta potty governance, you know, like how many bath tickets sold, you know?
0: Yeah. You got to apply for the permit and what's your anticipated, what's your anticipated numbers. Okay. If your numbers are this, you must have blank in order to have a permit. What are your exits? Where where are your safety tents? stuff like that. Yeah. Like I get that for regulations. Yeah. So I'm um, this, and have you been to burning man?
1: I haven't, but it's on my bucket list. Gotcha. I'm a little apprehensive cause I'm not a full, I'm not a, what we call a wook. Have you ever heard of a wook?
0: No. Nah.
1: A wook is like the kind of person who just dives into a festival, doesn't take a shower, just <laughs> might look like they're homeless after like two days at the festival. Like I'm not that. You know, like, I'm very put together, like, I haven't worked, I even brought my hotspot and did some work at the festival, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not that, but at the same time, it is freeing to like, to just like, I dressed up like a dork, you know, like, I put on like a pink hat, and I just kind of, like, just let my inhibitions go, because I was not judged the whole time. Mm. And like, that is so like, and then I took a little bit of uh, took some uh, acid. And I just like watch this. If you, if you ever, if you get on Google, just Google the gorge, it's got this view of the Columbia River and the sun goes down. And then it's like this DJ. And it's just like you're on top of a hill. It's like the equivalent of like Red Rocks. Okay. Um, and it's just one of those iconic things. So you just like try and get your little high right at the top, you know, drop a little acid and veg out and just don't be judged, you know, like you can wear whatever you want, do whatever you do, whatever you want, but you want to wear a G string as a dude and feel free, go for it. You know, like it doesn't even matter, you know?
0: Yeah. I just Googled the gorge and I'm looking at the river in the background and the mountains and yeah, that would be that to me doesn't shit on Red Rocks, but that is way more impressive than Red Rocks was. And Red Rocks was impressive. Don't get me wrong. But, this is the vastness of this is, um, next level.
1: Yeah. It's bigger than the red rocks and you can camp there. Red rocks. You can't camp. You have to go back to the, you have to leave. Right. Know? So doing some asking, hanging out there, it just like resets my batteries, you know, and I only do it once a year and I just like, we went out last week with a buddy or a uh, couple buddies and like everybody cried, <laughs> you know, it was just like, <laughs> man, like, This year is hard. Like I love you. Like shit's crazy. You know, post COVID. I know COVID's over, whatever. But I mean, like we're still getting our legs back. You know, to an extent. So it's just like people are leaving for jobs. You know, so yeah, it was cool. I I encourage if you can never get away to like not have to take a drug test anytime soon. You know, (laughs)
0: live it up. Be the
2: dude.
1: Live it up.
0: Yeah, why, the judgment thing's interesting, man. Why do you think you need to I don't, have that recharge? I I don't know how to ask it without sounding like an asshole. But like, why are you worried about being judged in real life, but you can be free in a festival?
1: I think you judge yourself um, to an extent. Like, yeah, you when you say judge, you think of, oh, I judge other people, you know, or other people judge me. But I think a lot of times you judge yourself more. You're like, okay, am I where I should be at career wise? Do I have am I have the nice house like I think I should? You know, have the car like I think I should? Or comparatively to my other friends, even though your other friends are not judging you for shit, you're judging yourself. You know, and I think it's nice to just have the break where you're like not judging yourself, and the drugs help you know but also the the venue and the music also adds to it it's like a pillar like three pillars the drugs the venue and then just getting away and being in nature you know you're just kind of like nothing matters but this exact moment and when you get out of that you're like oh more things matter you know i got to I got it. Like I came back from the festival and I had a ticket on my car for $75. I'm like, well, we're back, you know, (laughs) you know, it's that kind of shit, you know, like, Oh, well, my tire was over the yellow line for a half an inch. So here's a ticket for $75, you know, we're fucking back. You know, I got to send out expense reports on Monday, you know? So it's just nice to be unattached and just like, but you're also emotionally available. It's not like you're in this weird thing where you're like, well, I'm going on vacation. I'm putting my phone away and I'm putting my computer away. So I'm detached, but you're not really detached. You're just electronically detached in your head. You're like, okay, well, I only have 500 bucks in my bank account. I can only buy so much drinks. I can only get so much dinner, you know, blah, 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 blah. I can only drive so far, but when you go out, to somewhere like a rave or something you're like none of that fucking matters like i didn't look at my bank account i not only did i disconnect electronically but i disconnected emotionally which allowed me to just kind of like open up to myself that makes sense
0: no yeah and so disconnected emotionally from
1: responsible from, bull- from the bullshit yeah responsibility you know like i'm very responsible but i had this stupid flamingo you know, like you get in your in your yard, like one of those stupid flamingos. I taped the stick and I put all these, like, they had like a craft table and I crafted this stupid penguin or this stupid flamingo. And I just carried it around with me. And people were like, dude, I love your flamingo. Like, that's awesome. I'm like, so dumb. So dumb. But for some reason, I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, I love it. Like, <laughs> I would never want my picture put out there with me holding this flamingo. With these dumb glasses, I had like a fur jacket on, like a fur, um, like a vest, you know. And I'm just like, that's not me. Normal, normal, 360 days a year, that's not me. But for these three, four days, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, this feels cool.
0: Yeah, right. But like, so what's? Why do you have to? That's an interesting point. Why do you feel the need to have to have a static you? Why not just be fluid, Bruce Lee? Be water. Yeah I,
1: don't know. I don't, yeah. I think life would be perfect if I could do that. You know, maybe like the perfect apex of life is festival me meets responsible me. But I don't know how to like actually intertwine the two or I haven't figured it out yet. I think that's part of my life journey is intertwining the two, you know?
0: Yeah, I, man, I it's a, it's an interesting thought because like why can't you just be the camper guy that has whatever kind of like a little side hustler super minimalist and you get to live free or would it just be a terrible lifestyle to experience day in and day out
1: yeah i think it would be not my preferred way of life but i enjoy it for the minimal time that i do
0: it. it's just the vacation
1: yeah yeah like to me a vacation to like i don't know where do people vacation? Go to Hawaii. Like, to me, that'd be cool, but it would stress me out because I'd be like, everything's so expensive. I got to catch the flight. I get on the flight. Like, I don't actually feel like I'm on vacation till I sit there on a beach with a Mai Tai.
0: Right.
1: You know, so it's like, this is like a very small and I'm very in control of my vacation, per se. You know, like, I got my spot. I'm happy. I got all my camping gear. I got my drugs. You know, I got my friends. I'm good. Very
0: low impact on my life. Yeah. I've, pref- <laughs> <laughs> I've always preferred those guys. I've never been on a cruise or anything like that, but I've always preferred the, I don't know, man, like, like not the tour bus ultra scheduled. Gotta get shit done. getaway. I just like the, I could give a fuck where it's at. Like you can almost make any place look good. I just don't want to worry about shit.
1: Right. What would Um, be your biggest
0: worry? Yeah. Like biggest worry is like figuring out what to do, not meeting some sort of deadline. I think that's like a great day. is being like, fuck man, biggest, what's my biggest to do today? Oh, I just got to figure out what I want to do today. Yeah. And play it from there.
1: I think my whole upbringing and where I'm at now is that everything revolves around like money. Yeah. You know, I think um, I've had a few, very few points in my life where I've had enough money that I'm not worried about it. And like, I think when people start making enough money that they're not worried about it, they have a disconnect with people who do worry about it. And what I mean by worry yeah. about it is I mean like paycheck to paycheck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, dude, yeah. it's happening to me just like a little bit. I was, um, uh... Trailer kid mom car gets repossessed. I grew up in New York and we're pretty affluent. And then we moved to Delaware and fucking white trailer trash type shit. Food stamps. I got five t shirts. Like I, I was the kid in ninth grade that had the Monday t shirt. And by like the fifth week of school, people on the bus would like make fun of me. Be like, oh shit, yeah. Monday O'Grady oh got his Reebok shirt on. You're like, fuck. Yeah. I'm the I'm t the shirt yeah. guy. You know, like we're do like plumbing would break and we'd have to do dishes in the bathtub. Cause the kitchen sink, we couldn't just get it fixed. We had to wait for the paycheck to get it fixed type thing. Yeah. You know, $5 when gas was whatever, $2 you're like walking in you're like, all right, let me get $3 on pump one. And (laughs) you know, like shit like that, where you're splitting whatever the dollar menu came out for a reason, man, you're fucking like splitting the nuggets on the dollar menu. And now I'm like in this world with teachers and my go-to is like, when was the last time you didn't? fill up your gas tank at the pump. When was the last time you had to worry, like it sucks that it's whatever, $80, $100 to fill up your Tahoe. But when was the last right, time sure. you didn't have the ability to fill it up? When was the last time you just had to put like $5 on something, $10 on something? Yeah. And like, it's very easy, man. It's happened to me. Like I I think of that shit and I, like it's going to fuck with my daughter. I'm worried for my daughter because like she, she's growing up, like it's never a big deal for us to just Oh shit. We're hungry. Let's go out and eat. Right. Like, okay. It's more convenient to just get some takeout. Yeah. Sit in a nice restaurant. Like we don't have to think twice about it. And like growing up, it was like, fuck man, can we save for a week to get some like Chinese lunch specials that are $5? You know, like that was a big deal. And it is, man, people, you can forget the stress and the choices and the way that people cope and the values of people who are not financially secure. It is a terrible, terrible feeling.
1: Right? Yeah. And I think some people mask their financial where they are with material things.
0: Oh dude, that's another gimmick, whatever the dude with the Mercedes outside his trailer and you're like, (laughs) prioritize man. Prioritize.
1: We have this area. It's so Seattle, everything's of Seattle is like rich, which it is ridiculous. But there's an area called Bellevue, Washington. And it's like where Jeff Bezos lives and Bill Gates and that whole area. And we call these people that live right next to them $50,000 millionaires. Because they only make $50,000 a year, but they try and present themselves as like, oh, I got my BMW. And I'm like, yeah, but your credit score is 460. And you're paying like 29% interest on this car, you know, like, it's not good. You know, it's like, but that's just how, I bet they live their life so stressed out, you know, like, okay, I've got $97 in the bank and I've got four days, four days divided by 97. Okay. I can have two hamburgers, blase, blase, you know, and then you get paid and you're like, ah, I'm fucking rich, $1,200, you know, just <laughs> the fucking cycle, you know, and it's like, how do you get out of that? You know, how do you get out of that? You know? So I, I do get why people, let themselves go for a weekend and be like, okay, I'm just going to fucking take this mushrooms and do this acid and just forget all of that stuff. I'll get back and there'll be a ticket on my car when I get back and then we'll get back to life. You know,
0: dude, the take I mean that story with the ticket is just so fucking accurate as to what's not back to reality. Oh, and you're
1: like, fuck and that's me. A true that's a true story. I'm still pissed about it. I'm going to, I'm trying to fight it. I would too.
0: Dude, was the military, so for me, like when I went away to basic training and I came back home with like four grand in my bank account, it was in, it was an insane advantage to me. And I think that's what helped me to like class up as far as economic class. I'm curious if it was the same for you, if joining the military allowed you to get to the point of financial security.
1: Yeah. So the military never did. I I made E5 and five. So I'll put that out there. Um, but luckily I grew up, (laughs) that's my little flex. Uh, (laughs) I grew up, um, obviously the way I did, but I saw, I got a glimpse of what it was like to live above my means because my parents rubbed shoulders with people who were way above their means. So we were hanging out with very wealthy people, very family oriented people. So I became kind of a chameleon, you know, where I was like just watching and I'm like, okay, this is how people talk to each other. This is how politeness, courteous, you know, and my dad, (laughs) if I put my elbows on my table, my dad was smacking my elbows off the table and he's like, we don't do that. He's like, you got to be better than that. He's like, they expect you to do that, but we don't do that. Hmm. I'm like, all right, I don't even know what that means, you know? So I would cry because he'd smack my elbows off the table. But, but then later as an adult, I'm like, Oh, I get it. Because I'm going to be looked at differently. So if I put my elbows on the table, that's just a little, little sign that says, Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. You know, yeah like taught me how to put my napkin on my, on my lap, you know, which side the salad fork goes on, you know, and he knew that if I was on the path that I'm on, I'm going to need to know those things. So in regards to the military. They never financially made me feel good, but I never really thought about it. I was just getting drunk, chasing tail, wake up with a hangover. I would study so hard for my next test. I would study all day, every day. I would get my ESWAS, which is in the Navy. It's a big deal for getting a pin. means you know everything about your unit, your ship. So I was like one of these nerds but I was also like the guy wearing Jordans and everybody loved me, you know? So I was like, again, I reverted back to what I knew in high school. I just wanted to be friends with everybody. Nobody hated me, but nobody was like, yeah, it's my best friend, you know? So I used that to my advantage in the Navy where I would go and learn everybody's job, but I was also a prick at the same time. because so I'd be like, oh, I know your job better than you do. So you just, you know, like nobody likes that guy, you know? <laughs> So, I would just sit back and they'd be like, hey, can you come over here and teach us this? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you really appreciate it? They'd be like, yeah. you know. So, then I would, I started building this ego that I never had in my whole life. And then I just like felt underappreciated. And that's kind of why I got out. Damn. You know, I was like, kind of like, people were telling me, oh, shit, or get off the pot because you made E5 and 5. I'm like, well, I don't want to stay here. Like, I just, I got this fat fuck who's an E6, E7 yelling at me, but this guy doesn't even know his own job. But he's been in the Navy for 21 years, so he just has a fucking khakis on. And I'm like, fuck this guy. Like, I can outrun him, outsmart him, out-Navy him, but just because I've only been in the Navy five years, I got to listen to him? I just didn't do good with, like, rink.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's a weird flaw um, in the military, cause that happened to me in national guard. I remember feeling the same thing and I don't know if it's true. I feel like in your case it was true. I think I, you seem pretty arrogant as am I, but I was like, I think my arrogance was unjustified, <laughs> but I remember yeah. thinking like, so the only fucking way for me to like advance and get like, get power, get position is time. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, I, I can't just like show you I'm good enough and then, okay, cool. Let's bump O'Grady up. It's like, no, I got to wait. Like, fuck Like, that's not business. That's not America. That's not a meritocracy. Like i fucking got this. And it drove me nuts. And I was like, nah, I'm out.
1: Yeah, no, I, my last straw was, we did this run. I'm a good, I'm a runner. Like I'm a five, nine, but I run like a gazelle, you know? And
0: <laughs> wait, what do you mean? I'm a five, nine.
1: I'm I'm a I'm a tall 5'9".
0: Oh, that's your height 5'9"?
1: Nine? Yeah. nine. yeah.
0: No, why does that matter for running? You talking about like stride length?
1: Stride lines, yeah. Especially if you run longer lengths, because I was a cross country. I did cross country in high school, but I was always the shortest person. Like, you lined everybody up, and I was always the shortest person. But I could run an eight minute mile, like hungover. <laughs>
0: I actually so we, did today, but mine was nine. I was so, I was shocked. I looked down at my watch. I'm like, "Fuck, 8:45 pace after all that sangria last night." I felt good yeah. about myself. I was like, "Look at me."
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Fuck the eight minute mile." I just stopped drinking four hours ago. Like that's more impressive. <laughs> like I, I just escaped a DUI getting on this base, and now I'm running <laughs> on this fucking mile. You know, and uh, the captain was like. Uh, um the captain was talking shit because he was he was a runner. I'm like, fuck this guy, and so I passed the captain. I turned around and did like the shooter guns, like, <laughs> phew, 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 you know? <laughs> and uh I got in so much trouble for that. And it was like my arrogance wasn't necessary arrogance. It was arrogance plus like Naiveness Like I just didn't know. Yeah, you, you know, like you I can't publicly know.
0: embarrass the fucking man.
1: Yeah. So I was like, I got in trouble and I got derelict duty. I had to stay on the ship. And then I just went hard. Everything I did like, Oh, you want me to run a two minute mile? Or you want me to run a two miles? I'll do it quicker than that. And then I'll grab a beer at the base bar and watch you guys waddle into the finish line. (laughs) Like I don't, I like a a little humility would have gone a long way for younger Anthony.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But dude, it's gotta be so hard. Again, I'm just like thinking back. To, and I might be oversimplifying it, but when you come from an environment where you're grown and you're fucking, I'm I'm special needs. I'm in a class. I don't I don't know fucking letters. To wait, I'm top percent. All of a sudden, I'm I'm top one percent. I'm top five percent. How do you not kind of I don't know flaunt it after feeling like shit for a while in your life?
1: Yeah, I think I flaunted it. In ways that I didn't realize were flaunting it. I think I thought one thing, but the actuality and perception was another thing in regards to like, you know, how, like they say, when you have a chip on your shoulder, cause you were drafted like ninth, like ninth round. Yeah. And then you get the starting position and then you relax, you know, you're like, oh, I made it, you know, but you haven't made your first contract. That's kind of how I feel like always have a chip on my shoulder. And I prove that person wrong, but I never prove myself right. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I kind of have that disconnect between proving somebody wrong and then doing right by myself and proving that I can be, that I can hold that mark. That's kind of where I struggle to an extent.
0: Yeah. I, I want to say, have you heard of the imposter syndrome?
1: I've heard it thrown around, but I don't know like what actuality.
0: Yeah, I I don't know whatever the clinical definition of, but basically from what I've experienced, seen and spoken about, it's just you get a position and you just inside doubt that you're worthiness of this position. And there's this fear that you're gonna be exposed as not being worthy of that position. So you do everything to showcase that you are worthy, while always doubting yourself. So if you're the best runner there, you really don't believe you're the best runner. So you're going to make other people feel like shit about them, not being the best, not because you're really trying to make them feel like shit, but you feel like shit about yourself and you're scared. They're going to see that you're not the best.
1: Right? So I 100% have that syndrome.
0: (laughs) Diagnosed, clinical, done.
1: (laughs) Diagnosed, because I will (laughs) shit on anybody else if they think they know more or do more or can make the most baskets or kick the most goals or and I don't always prove it, but I will try my fucking hardest to prove you wrong opposed to proving myself right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah there, the, I, to me, that's the level of contentness and confidence. And so I'm, I turned 41 this summer and I'm starting to finally feel that of like, not everything's a dick measuring contest. Like, I'm, right. I, like I'm good, man. I'm fucking good. And I I don't need you to recognize my good. I don't even need to tell you that I'm good. Matter of fact, I'm like, I could give a fuck either way if you regard me or not, or disregard me because I'm fine with me.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's a weird feeling because I don't remember. I always felt like I always had to earn or prove. And I don't know if it's the job that I'm in. I don't know if it's the stage of life that I'm in. I don't know if it's, I don't know what the fuck it is, man. But I'm just like, it's a scary, it's a little bit of a scary feeling. It's almost like a sociopath where you're like, how come I no longer have all this doubt? <laughs> like, where, where is it? Well, like I, I lost my luggage somewhere and I don't know. I, I, I am looking for it all the time. It's like, shouldn't I be feeling awkward in this conversation? I'm like, Nah, it ain't on me. <laughs> Give a fuck. Less. Do, you,
1: do you think that took away from something else or is that just adding like a fresher breath air that you're no longer like, Dick comparing. You're just like, okay, that was something in my life that I no yeah. longer yeah. Do you, know I want to do. Or is there something else fulfilling it?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. I think, I, I feel like it's age and a little bit of self, like, you know how you were like, Oh, um, E five and five little flex there. Yeah. Like, but just recognizing Accomplishments and being talking to more people, and being like, yeah, like, I am, like, it's my shit. You own that e five and five, right? Like that, right. that. That's you. That's a that's that's a confidence thing, and you own the fact that you were able to choose to get out of the military. Like I own. I have all these things within me. Goggins calls it the cookie jar. You know, like every time you do something hard, it's a cookie in your cookie jar, and when you need it, you can pull it out. Like. I don't want to refer to it as cookie jars because I don't think cookies give you confidence. They probably fuck with your confidence and you become the dad bod that I have. But like, I have all these things where I'm like, I did that. Yeah. For some reason, like the I did that pops into my head. And I try to tell kids that. I'm like, there's a huge fucking pride in you're the dude that did that. And yes, you get made fun of when you fail at doing that and you don't actually get it done. But once you do it, it, it doesn't get taken away from you. It doesn't get taken away from you. You have the fact that you did that for forever now. And yeah. I, I don't know why it took me so long to like realize and buy in on that. I feel like I almost wasted my thirties if I was more ambitious. Cause I'm like, if I have just realized like I was fucking solid in my twenties and early thirties, man, I feel like I don't know. I feel like other shit would have opened up to me cause people would have, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have been such a prick. Like you're describing yourself. Like that's very much within me. I'm the, I'm the fuck with you guy.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times I did those accomplishments, not for myself, but just mostly not to get fucked with and not to have people look at me that way I can, they'd be like, Oh, here's Gonzalez staff fucking weird ass name guy who's number one on all these you know qualifications but when we ask for somebody to do them he's he's gone he doesn't want to volunteer like i was the guy that was like i'm gonna do all these things so you just leave me alone you know (laughs) i can just like not be like so like the best thing i was good at was fighting fires on on ships so i was like west coast Sailor of the Year on shipboard firefighting and I went to school to teach shipboard firefighting. I knew everything about it. And they're like, Hey, uh, we need somebody to train other sailors so we'll send you the bill the billet, is called billets. The billet would be going from Alaska to San Diego, and they just like figured out I'd say yes. I'm like, fuck no. I was like, I don't wanna teach other people, I just wanna like chill. <laughs> like, you know, like and they're like, Well, we would really like you to do this. I'm like, hell no. You know, and it came with like a bonus, all this crazy shit. But I was so closed minded that I was like, no, I did this to just keep people off my back, not to just teach other people. And now old year, ten years later, Anthony, I'm an idiot. I should have like rode that so hard and been like, I do like teaching. I do like talking to people. I do like the youth. So, but back then I was just so like angry. Like like if somebody called on me for something, it was because they had something against me.
2: Hmm.
1: I felt like everybody was against me, you know. And so then when I got out, in my head I got out thinking, oh, you guys are going to miss me. Uh, but I'm such a fucking fucking idiot that the United States Navy has been around for hundreds of <laughs> hundreds of years, are going to miss me, you know? <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> You show thing.
0: You show Got up me. and you're like, "Wait, that's my bunk. That's yeah. my footlocker. What are you doing?"
1: <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "All right, you're out of here, you Gonzo." And I'm like, "All right,
0: <laughs> yeah, not
1: even thinking twice."
0: I wonder how much is um, you finally being in control.
1: That I don't. I feel like I'm in control of my thoughts and my my mind on a, like, okay. So I think like I'm not in control in a sense of, um, my trajectory, but I'm finally in control of my past. So I think like, I'm not where I want to be in life, but in order for me to get to where I want in life, I need to get control of my past and what everything means and be self-aware. And so I'm just kind of over the last, probably middle of COVID, probably just coming into that, you know, and like what all this trauma, like I never would have talked about this before, especially with somebody I don't know, you know, so even my close friends barely know that I'm adopted. So this is a step, I guess, in kind of like, kind of like talking about my past and being like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like Owing it is it. what it is.
0: No. Yeah. Owning it, man. Yeah. But, but so that gives you control, right? Cause then. Yeah. The, the scariest thing is somebody comes up and whatever, they make some joke about you not knowing your father, call you a bastard or whatever. Right. And on now you get the, it, it triggers you cause you can't control that emotion. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, yeah, I don't know my dad. Funny. What else? <laughs> and like, there's no rise and you own it. That that's how you, that's the first thing we tell kids if they're getting bullied. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, he said I stink. And I'm like, well, do you stink? No. Well, then why do you care if he says you stink? Well, people think I stink. I'm like, well, can't people smell? I guess. Or if some kid's like, well, yeah, I do stink. I'm like, well, then thank him and put on some deodorant, man. So, right, so you can, like, change the thing that you're worried about getting called out on. Or you can just own it. And you're like, yeah, so what? That is what I own. And, yeah. And like, it, it it's there, there's zero deterrent or shame in it because that's what I am.
1: Yeah. I think the thing that cuts deeper for me is not if somebody's like, you don't know your dad. I'm like, fuck him. I don't know. You know, like, he's missing out. I'm a fucking baller. <laughs> but if somebody was to say, well, you'll never have what I had because I have a dad who never left me then that's a different like story that cuts differently you know if like I compare myself to you know my best friend Josh his dad was like coach of the team you know so I would like lay in bed and be like man what if I had a dad who was like coaching my team and whatnot you know like maybe I would have that and I would be better you know but in retrospect I'm starting to get a hold of that and be like you know what real life didn't give me that is what it is so let's let's move on, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at, you know, it happened a lot later than I thought it would in life. But also again, didn't go to therapy, didn't go to anything. I'm just now like, like COVID slowed me down so much that I was forced to like, look at those things.
0: It's really cool that you got that self or self reflective. I don't know that you went there on that self reflective journey.
1: It took, and this may sound crazy, but obviously, after listening to this conversation, it might not sound crazy, but it took some, like, mushrooms and acid for me to get there, in all honesty. You know, like, that statement of, like, are you upset that you didn't have a dad, or are you upset that you didn't have the dad that you thought you should have? And then I'm like, oh, I did have a dad, it just wasn't what I thought it would be, therefore, doesn't take away from my, the love that my dad gave me. It just wasn't what I
0: thought it would be like from the movies and pictures and books. Yeah. And, fucking marketing, man. How, how market. fucking, how so many marketers make people feel like shit.
1: Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Even, uh, going to see my girl's dad, I was thinking like, Oh, you know, like he's a golfer, you know, he has a son. And I'm like, cool. Maybe this is a chance to like, I'll be his son-in-law, you know? <laughs> And first thing he says to me is like, "Do you see that Biden fall on the bike?" And I'm like, Ugh. "I'm like, all right, yeah, I saw that. That was cool. You know, like, it was an old man falling on a bike. Like, I don't do politics, yeah. you know. So, you know,
0: quick, quick side note: I took my daughter. That bike trail is like, I, I, I'm on that bike trail once a week, man. It's, fifth, it's eight miles from my house, right? Nice. So I, um. My daughter, whenever my daughter wants to go into the beach town Rehoboth, which is where Biden's beach house is, I park the next town up and I make her bike in because we don't get to bike very often. We live in country roads, a little dangerous, but there's a, the bike trails beautiful back there. So dude, we're coming out of it where Biden fell and there are four people with a pink MAGA hat on with a fucking six foot four cutout of Donald Trump cardboard taking pictures at where Biden fell off his bike with the Trump cutout. And I'm like, that was your fucking Thursday morning plan.
1: That is wild.
0: Like that was on your fucking cat. Like, that's not a spur of the moment. Oh, this is where Biden fell. Let me get off my bike. Take a stupid little selfie. You know, like whatever planking was back in the day, like y'all fucking organized this. And you thought that would be a good time. And I get, they seemed very happy. Yeah. But, like, it weirded my daughter out. She was like, what are they doing? They're making fun yeah. of the president who fell? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I I guess they're angry that he beat Trump. Ale- Allegedly beat
2: Trump. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, I'm like, they're like, um, you know, after about 15 Trump jokes and yada, yada, clearly making where they stand, I'm like, that's fine. Like, I don't care. Like, but you can't hold me and my views against me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, no president has ever affected me in my life. You know, like let's start with local government. And even then I'm like, I don't even want to talk about that. You know, like I have three, I have very few things that I truly care about veterans, you know, programs that help foster kids and adopt your kids and just all around helping elderly because my grandparents, I was adopted and I was in the military. Those are the things that affect me. Those are the things that I'm passionate about and anything past that, it's kind of like, yeah, all right, you know, that's an appetizer, you know? And like, if Trump fell off a bike, I'd be like, well, he's old, you know, like relax, you know, I'm not going to go mock him, you know, but that's crazy. You know, like indoctrination, even bringing your kids to something like that is crazy.
0: Yeah, well, they didn't have kids there. My kid and I were just riding by, and she had noticed it. She was like, "What? what is this happening? Um, but they were, I mean, I want to say they were 55, and it was just, I don't know, it was so odd. But, like, that spot is becoming a spot. Like, you go there, and there's chalk lines down some days, you know, like, outlining where he went. There's fucking stickers. It's on Google Maps as Brandon falls. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> like it's it's, also with boomers not having a lot to do they're all retiring yeah they don't have a lot of other things to. i mean it's sad to an extent but like they don't have a lot of other things to do you know like
0: yeah but fuck around with that man it's um it was eerie um i sorry i didn't mean to take you away from the dad or the potential stepfather or not stepfather in law thing um no
1: no no, you're good but it was Uh but
0: like those people man like it's you drive around and it's like Trump 2024 or like I'm riding my bike and you just see like fuck Biden. But like the fuck Biden is spelt with like AKs and AR 15s and shit.
1: Yeah. It's, I,
0: it's a, it's I, a hard I, place to be. It's just so divisive. And again, I like, Oh, you want to go towards, Hey, elder care. How do you have anyone on Medicare? Because if you do, um, they lose all their assets and they go to a really shitty nursing home when they need help. Maybe we could all agree to like make that better. I don't yeah. know. like you want to focus on, Hey vets. Um, I'm actually, um, have you heard of, I don't know if you saw it on my Instagram or whatever. Um, stop soldier suicide.
1: Yeah, I saw that.
0: Yeah. Dude, you should totally fucking do that too, man. hundred mile challenge in September. I had like Colby on from that. And I'm like, who the fuck's not going to want to be like, Oh my God, soldiers kill themselves. Veterans kill themselves. 2000 more a year than civilians. And it's like, yeah. yeah, we need to fucking do something. Something ain't working right. What's the solution? Let's get behind that solution.
1: Yeah, so that's my... I saw that. And my question, what does it actually look like in... Like, okay, so veteran myself. Yeah. Tons of issues. Yeah. Um. Not saying that I haven't been in a dark place ever in my life. I've been there. So, like, what does... A 100 mile challenge, which I'm going to do. But what does it actually look like? To intermediate between somebody who's sitting in their room when it's it yeah, so... lights off, and you're just like, fuck this, like, because a lot of veterans, you have to look at their life before they join the military. A lot of veterans were not probably on an awesome trajectory. Like yeah. I wasn't deciding between Ivy League college and boot camp.
0: Yeah, you you, you know? weren't considered for the fucking Naval Academy in West Point. you were like, ah, do I do, do I want to go with the Corps? Do I want to you know be an right. admiral? That wasn't a thought.
1: Right, it wasn't a thought. It was like, do I want to be a bullet sponge or just like maybe on a boat? Yeah, like different.
0: Yeah, um. Me. So there's a couple of things. The hundred mile challenge. The point is just to get. It's a fundraiser for them to get money. Um, he told me every $30 they raise, a veteran gets one hour of, um, counseling, one-on-one counseling. Cool. Now, uh, if, I don't know if you listened to the pod, I'm going to assume you didn't. I don't want to mansplain if you had, that's why I'm saying that, but they have this thing called the black box project. Okay. This is so fucking cool to me, man. So what they can do is if a veteran has committed suicide and the family is okay with it, they donate their cell phone to Stop Soldier Suicide, who has a fucking forensics team. And what they do is they look at the viewing patterns leading up to the suicide. They take that data, they find a trend, and they target their social media marketing towards those places that they're noticing people are before they take their own life.
1: See, that is fucking cool. That's how, exactly why I asked that question. Dude, like
0: how fucking dope is that? Like, I was like, genius. Now, here's the sad part. Um, After the pod, the saddest part for me was the real statistic is there's basically, and I didn't get to ask him how he got this number. He said there's a 10-minute window from when a veteran decides to take their life to when they take it. Because they have such typically they have such easy access to firearms and it tends to be more spontaneous than planned out. It's more spur of the moment. They get a little too drunk. Somebody breaks up with them. They get triggered. They spiral. They feel out of control and they don't have anyone to talk to. So they take their life. Right? So I, I, all at the same time, the fact that they can get these phones and they just blow up social and find out what vets are into and they have these ads. And he told me, man, like if you went there on their website and put a message in, you could most likely get someone to reach out to you within 15 minutes. A real individual.
1: Okay. Now, is a person just a regular person or do you like volunteer to be one of these people that can talk to a vet? No, they they have
0: like licensed counselors, man.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay.
0: So yeah, and that's part of what they're dealing with now. So with COVID restrictions, they're fucking government. And this is where the government pisses me off. The government is putting on, basically, I think during COVID with telehealth, they did not mandate that a counselor in Delaware was also certified to be a counselor in California or Seattle. Oh. Now each state has their own requirements and those, um, regulations are coming back. So what they're scrambling to do is find certified counselors to meet the need in each state, which is terribly fucked up because, I mean, let's be honest, if you know how to counsel, if you pass some sort of standard, it should just be a federal standard.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: Because I don't know if I'm going to need a hundred in California one week and then 30 in Delaware the next week. Like how could I ever build a staff that way? You know? right. Um, but that's their current challenge is to figure out the staffing with the regulations, but man, it's, you get a case manager, you get an intake, you take an evaluation and depending on how high of a priority are you to take your own life, you get prioritized obviously. But the cool thing is they have this other, um, they have this sub brand called Roger and Roger is for people who are like almost kind of like what you were thinking. And I want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, Hey man, I'm not suicidal, but I know I've been through shit. I don't want to call up a stop soldier suicide line and soak up someone's time who is suicidal. Like I'm not going to kill myself. I just got some shit I need to talk about. Roger is their brand for that, where they provide counseling for any vet. Because if Uh if you preemptively get the counseling, you're not going to go to suicide. It's right. not going to snowball. They they go with life skills, dude. Dude, part of their fucking thing is like, oh my God, you got an eviction notice. Do you know how to file an appeal? Do you know what you should Google? And they like basically life coach you through the trauma and triggers in your current life so that it doesn't escalate to the feeling of hopelessness.
1: Yeah. I think that's where a lot of... Um, I had a friend take a li- take his life and... Obviously, as all of us in his unit, like, what could we have done differently? you know, like all these generic questions that you ask yourself like I never saw it coming or you know like this or that, you know. But in reality, what he needed was just um, somebody to just talk mm-hmm. without like, a playbook. Yeah. And sometimes things are too much of a playbook you know, and especially veterans, we feel it. We feel, we feel it because we live that life. When you're in the military, everything is like... That's
2: right,
1: Revelies at, you know, your POD, your plan of the day. You get up at 7, 7.05 is this, you know? So we feel when something is not, like, just natural. And I think we shy away from it to an extent. And so, like, if something is, like... Oh, this is just a formality, you know. We shy away from it. Whereas other civilians may be like, oh no, you're supposed to fill out this form to get this form to get this form. And you're good. Military were like, I'm tired of that, man. Like, yeah. Waiting in line is just to wait in a line. You know, like
0: hurry up and wait.
1: The reason I got out of the military. And then when you when you're fucked up and then you go to something that just reminds you of the military, it's like, well, here we are, square one. Now I'm even more triggered. Yeah. So Nah, it's a pressure dude, for here to hear both of those things.
0: Dude, these motherfuckers, um, I think it was three guys who came back from Afghanistan. The the um he's not the CEO, he's the board. Actually, he might be the CEO or board the board chair, the founder of the company, I think lost three people in his platoon within several weeks. And he was like, the fucking VA, man. Like we we need a flexible quick hitting alternative, someone who has the balls to go to the VA and deal with their bullshit and gets turned away. Like that should not happen. We're going to get to you because he lost three of his friends. And that's their whole goal is to be as nimble as possible and as responsive as possible. And he was telling me, dude, like you get a case manager for fucking like eight and a half months. That's their average duration. So it's not like you just meet with somebody and the next week you meet with a new person and the next week you meet with a new person. Like they really try to have that relationship develop so that you know the individual you're going to meet with and you build that trust.
1: Right. I think that's important. Um, it's hard to get to that point, I'll be honest. Like. Yeah,
0: it takes time, right?
1: Yeah, it takes time. It takes just kind of like, like, like this podcast. It just takes like a simple like, hey like a follow-up you know like when I said hey I'll be on this podcast you know you're like I was like I'm never gonna hear from this shit you know nobody ever <laughs> follows up on whatever and you're like hey man yeah I'm gonna send you a Google." I'm like what the fuck you know I'm like as a military ex-military guy you're like whoa you know like people don't follow up on their shit unless it's money related yeah right. you know so it's like somebody followed up on something non-money related you're like oh shit okay okay you know so like that lets all the walls down you know if i had to pay $25 to be on this podcast i'd be like i'd have a wall up yeah. but you're like hey no, i just want to talk to you like what's up what's up dog it's like okay i can put the walls down same with any other vet is going to be like like yeah man like there was shit going on before i joined the military you know and that goes into like a lot of guys in the military don't want to talk about them in the military they want to talk about the trauma before the military yeah a lot of people when they think of veterans they think oh man did you kill somebody you know like i've had like being the barber chair and i'm like I'm, I'm tatted up and they're like oh you're in the military and i'm like yeah i'm like did you kill anybody no like, yeah it's not i mean can i just get a fade you know <laughs> you can fade like just keep this light and i'm like i'm not answering that you know So that the same thing can go in regards to like, Hey, how was your military experience? Like, yes, people are fucked up from their military experience, but people are fucked up before they got in the military more than likely. And like, let's dissect that. And then we can get into like what you saw or maybe you didn't see who knows, maybe you just have, maybe the military is not your issue. Maybe it was before the military, but you join the military, so you should still have that. You should still have that, like, right to get some help.
0: Yeah, yeah, dude, fucking hundred um, percent. I I've had, I've had a, a Israeli on the podcast, and he, and this is something I thought was real interesting. He was like, there needs to be military mandatory military service in America. So, and if we do that, the amount, the increase in patriotism, would just would skyrocket because there's the country's so divided because there's no there's no like shared experience. And when you go for military funding because not everyone has experienced it they don't believe that there's a need or they, they they don't understand how someone who grew up with no structure gets put in something very structured and now all of a sudden you think they're an adult they get out of that structure and something happens, they don't know how to cope because they never learn the coping skills. In the military, you don't have to cope. you just fucking, someone tells you what to do and you do it. It's, it's so organized. He was like, if you just had everyone serve to understand what it's like, people could appreciate those who struggle afterwards so much more. And they would appreciate the freedoms of the country so much more because they feel like they've put in towards it being earned.
1: Yeah, I I would say I'm like 62% agree on that. (laughs)
0: No military, no mandatory military service?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I served with a bunch of fuckheads that shouldn't even gotten in the first place, let alone (laughs) mandatory.
0: Yeah, but they would just do like real, real, real basic jobs. No security jobs.
1: No, I think there should be some type of um, gain to service. So, you're like, hey, my family just can't provide for me to get in the, into college. But I'd love to, like, do something for my country to to give back. Yeah. It doesn't have to be military. It could be, I don't know, social services. Maybe you do a year of counseling. I don't know. Whatever that looks like. Israel. I met some real fuckheads from Israel in the fucking Israel army. Oh, like, yeah? It's fun. It's fine. It's fine. But they're you can't compare Israel to the United States in, in that regard, you know?
0: Is it just because it's too violent? Like the threat?
1: It's a lot smaller. Um, but it's also, if you join, they also are in a battlefield. Their lives are, you know what I mean? That's like, It's like if all of the United States was the Mexico border, like Man. that's what it would be like, you know? So it's not fair it's not it's not comparable, but like I get what he's saying. Like it's almost like people say everybody should have a a server job at a restaurant because you realize <laughs> what it's like. You know what I mean? It's like well that's not gonna be feasible. Huh. You
2: yeah. Know?
1: Like like not everybody can be mandatory It'd be a bartender so you can know what it's like to get shit on, you know, or like a server so you know what it's like to get complained on. You need those There's always going to be that top percent that doesn't. The pro the weird thing to me is the military rides the backs of low income and traumatized children. Yeah, and
0: because why else would you join? Honestly, if unless you're going to go like naval academy, right? Unless you come from that family for no
1: reason. Unless it's like, hey, maybe I want to be a seal, or my dad was army ranger. Yeah, Uh, my dad was uh, I don't know a pilot. So I'm going to go be a pilot mechanic right. or something. Hey, yeah, fun but,
0: fact. Did you know my dad inspired Top Gun? Yeah, I'm joining you know, like, too. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, like that fucking makes sense. But you're not yeah, going to be me. on KP duty.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the guy who gets shot first. Like sticks yeah. his head up. the you are like, dude, I told you. But I mean, like for that 80% who is just like, well, I don't fucking know. Like I'll just join the army, you know? Like yeah. I'm in the hood, you know? I live in the projects, like. You're going to pay, you know, and like people want to act like I get benefits
0: for my family. I get medical and dental.
1: That sounds great.
0: I get a steady paycheck.
1: What? That's a lifeline. Yeah. And people need to stop acting like that's not the real, real, real world. We're not like the military is not top gun. The military is a bunch of fucking fuckheads who drink a lot who learn how to be good soldiers like we obey, you know? Like not that we're not good people, not that we have good hearts, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the trauma is there in probably 90% of that 80% that join the enlisted ranks. Yeah,
0: because if not, they'd have other options. Like who wants to go away from your family, fucking shave your head? Wake up, like stay up at weird hours of the night on fucking fire. Like, did you have fire patrol during basic where you had to like just uh, walk around fire for two watch. hours?
1: Yeah, fire watch.
0: Fire watch. Like, what the fuck is that about? The Fuck is that yeah, about? Why are you making me do that? I don't know. I fucking did it. You know why? Because I was told to do it. <laughs> so I right. did it. And like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to choose did. that. Who wants to choose that versus four years at a state school? Like, go to fucking Penn State. Go to University yeah, of Oregon.
1: Banging sixes and doing beer chugs, you know. <laughs> but also, people put the military on a pedestal. It's so funny how many civilians know nothing about the military. Like my girlfriend, she was like, "We well, have full health care." I was like, "What? No, I don't." It's <laughs> like, "Well, you you know, like, yeah." They don't give a fuck about me. Like, yeah, I got out with a good bill of health. I got twenty percent disability. I get nothing. I was like, all I get is put six feet under the ground with a little tombstone that says U.S. Navy. Like, that's that's what I get. And even then, if I want, like, a picture, it's going to cost me a little bit, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, hey, we don't get to shit. Are you, you, you
0: serious? Pick which last name will be on your tombstone? Pick the one yeah, with gonna, the less letters.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pay for the stuff you know? <laughs> and she's she's like, couldn't understand it. Nobody, no, None of my friends, none of my friends. I'm like, yo, we don't matter. Like we are gobbled up, just people. But the thing is, the cool thing is a lot of people are putting the effort into making sure that we matter. And that's, that's kind of like the silver lining of the whole thing is that if you look at the packed act with Jon Stewart, it took Jon Stewart, who's a millionaire to like shit on people. You f- know, and what he, he
0: did for that 9-11, the videos, I don't, I don't know a ton about it, but like what he was doing for those firefighters after yeah, 9-11. Yeah, he did the same
1: thing for pac
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Like it's it's amazing. I love the fact that he's like, you know what? I'm done with Comedy Central. I need a break. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking advocate. I'm going to make some change because I'm really smart and I know how to make – I know how to word things so that you can't, you, you can't go back at that dude when he gives a speech. You can't oh, nitpick yeah. the speech at all. It's done. Mic
1: yeah, Ted, Ted Cruz tried to come at him, and I was like, bless your heart, Ted Cruz. You're about to get <laughs> fucking talk it with Like, you're fucked.
0: Tuck your t-shirt <laughs> into your jeans. Good belt. Yeah. Get to the airport homes.
1: <laughs> like, you might as well go on vacation again, because you're about to get fucking murdered. <laughs> but it's shit like that. You know, it sucks that it takes, like, a Jon Stewart to make people be like, yeah, we should help the veterans. But, yeah, people want to put the bumper sticker you know, support the vo- support the troops. It's like, no, you want to support specific troops. You want to support specific things that, you, that you're told that you should support. You know, like, imagine supporting something that went against your own personal, like, well-being. You know, like, imagine supporting something that was like, yeah, you're not going to get anything out of this, but somebody else will. You know, it's like... Why do people have such a hard time supporting something that they're not gonna benefit? Just because somebody else is benefiting from something doesn't mean it's taking away from your yeah your life, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a weird scarcity thing. Like people feel that scarcity. I don't know if it's capitalism where it's like or like it's the sports world of there has to be one winner, there has to be one champion type thing. I'm not sure, but that is I mean, there are a lot of crabs. Pull you down.
1: Well, I feel like it's going that way more, especially since we see like the... And like I told my girlfriend, I was like, politics is not sports. You should not treat it like your team. There's no team. Right. Like, don't put a flag up like you're putting up your Packers flag. Like,
0: like fucking Republicans can't even wear blue ties. You know, right? like that's weird to me that we have uniforms on the politics. Like that's a fucking team, man. Like,
1: like, like when... Obama wore that gray suit or the tan suit. You remember that? I do not. He wore a tan suit and it was all hell broke loose. <laughs> we <were like> independent. <laughs> God, I was like, that's where we're at.
0: I, dude, let's talk a little shit running wise. Cause I'm a decent runner. I wasn't cross country or anything. Um, so if you're going to do the 100 mile challenge, how can we fuck with each other since we both got a lot of fuck you and us.
1: Yeah, so Okay, so I'm going to explain a 100 the, what? 100 what? 100
0: 100 miles, around,
1: 100 miles
0: by the overall. end of September.
1: Okay. Just you re, how are you recording it?
0: Um I got a Garmin. Okay. So, um I I have a decent little loop um <clears throat> with my house. I got like a solid 4 mile loop and then I have like markers. Um, during COVID, I ran a marathon just for the fuck of it because um, I was so bored out here in the country. So I know a seven mile, I know a eight mile. You know what I'm saying? So like I have these weird, uh, weird metrics. But we can do like average pace. We could do first one to get it done. We could. What else? Or like, what's a way to fucking challenge a challenge?
1: I'm down for anything. I don't really. I haven't really done anything like that in a long time.
0: Um, yeah, you get 30 days. Basically you got to average what little over three point, little over three miles a day. Okay. You know, um, but if you, whatever, if you did three marathons, that's 75 miles right there. And then you could take off the
1: next three weeks and then, um, Yes yeah, so you haven't ran in like months. So whatever, I'll just do a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: Um let's do whoever gets done. Whoever gets the hundred miles first. Quickest to a hundred miles. Let's fuck with each other in that way.
1: All right. Let me write it down. And And that's the first
0: starting on September 1st. First person to be able to post that they got their hundred miles. Um, so I have my, and when you go, you'll be able to set up a donation page. Mm -hmm. So let's do like, I don't know man. what's decent. $25. So if I beat you, you got to put 25 on my donation page. You beat me, okay. I'll put 25 on your donation page.
1: Okay, cool. And then my, my birthday is on nine eleven, So oh, wow. I'll try and hit them. What?
0: I said, oh, wow.
1: You want to do a goal before that? Do like a mid, a mid goal.
0: Dude, you got some gambling, addictive issues on you right here. you're trying to like make a parlay.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll. Yeah, that's so funny because I just made a, <laughs> uh, a. I'm not gonna say the money, but I'm a big. I'm a gambler. <laughs> <laughs> I just like goals.
0: Yeah. No, dude, I'm the same exact goal. Goals for some reason, metrics and goals—they make me feel good when I get them.
1: Well, let's do the the one month. Let's do another twenty five dollars. Just before the, from here to, or from September 1st to the 11th, another
0: $25. All right. So most miles.
1: Yeah.
0: By nine eleven.
1: And then, then uh, it's, is there a link once you join to post it on your page? Yes. Okay. So um, maybe, we get, or maybe we can get some friends involved to also donate.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the whole point, right? That's what they, um it's what they go for. I forget, man, he had told me the money they made on this Facebook challenge. And, um, it's if the company's legit and they have a platinum rating for transparency, uh, uh, and like I talked to one other guy, actually the Jason Wood guy, the, um, ultra runner, who's yeah, army vet. And he was like, yeah, I've heard of them. Um, they got a decent rep. So like if they're doing what, um, they're describing is done these targeting ads the black box the life counseling the fact that they're in all 50 states the fact that they get back to you within 15 minutes on average right now like it's it's money to me it's fucking money well worth spending.
1: yeah what was the other thing the roger
0: yeah their sub brand of roger cool so i'm writing
1: on. A- no yeah yeah yep. and
0: they seem bigger on Facebook than they are on um like Instagram although they have like they have Twitter they have I mean all the social media
1: It's funny how like all these socials have like an age group to it. So if you're on Facebook I'm like Dude. I assume you're old. If you're on Instagram I assume you're like a millennial. If you're on TikTok I assume that you're too young for me to talk to but not too young to date. We're not too young to date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Twitter is like a free for all. I'm like I'm still waiting. I have zero followers on Twitter. I, I realize that.
0: Do you? Re- <laughs> Dude, Twitter's a rough place, man. I went through a patch where um I fucking had like twelve different sex bots, like follow me.
1: That's twelve more than I have.
0: Yeah, but it it's like I I can't tweet, man. I go on Twitter and it's just you have to be either a really good comedian. That has these zany ass one-liners, or you have to just be so fucking angry at the world.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's weird. It's, it sucks. Like, I always think of these things I want to say, and I'm like, cool, I'm gonna put it out there, and it's like zero followers, so zero people saw it, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, support the PACT Act, you know, like this is great for veterans, and I tag like 20 people. And then it's like, Crickets. only, you, only you saw it, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool.
0: <laughs> Do you like your own posts?
1: <laughs> uh, I've been known to like my own post, <laughs> and then comment on my own post because that creates uh, a <laughs> something, I guess.
0: No doubt, and then you've got different like ghost accounts, your own burners that you then try to hype yourself up with.
1: Yeah, I said my. Other ones not Anthony Gonzalez,
0: is what it says. <laughs> yeah, Twitter. I don't know. I Twitter. I've had some good guests that I find on Twitter. Um, I like like the news that gets broken real quick, especially you know trade deadlines, rumors, shit like that. Um, I'm a big NBA guy, so I love that. Um, but yeah, just interacting with people. Comedians are great on Twitter to follow. Yeah.
1: Who's your comedians
0: in Um, that have been on the pod or
1: just who's your top three just in general.
0: Um, the fucking Tim Dillon is zero fucks given guy. Yeah. Which is amazing. I
1: like like Tim Dillon.
0: Um, Kevin Hart's hilarious. I And sneaky. I liked the Theo. Who, what fuck is his last name? The Mo he had, he had the Mo not, he had the mullet. I didn't realize he was 40. Theo Vaughn. Yes.
1: Dude, he's yeah, fucking he 40. He was in real world. Was he really? Yeah, he was in real world. That was like his claim to fame, was in real world. That's Same with Christina Pazinski, who's uh, wife of Tom Segura.
0: I don't know. I can't think of anything that
1: she's done. Uh, she was in real world. Okay. <laughs> and she's wife of Tom Segura. <laughs> that's,
0: that's not what she's done, that's who she
1: does yeah same same but uh there's some good like i follow i try and follow a lot of mexican um comedians it's like george perez um he remember back in the day mtv had yo mama with oh, will
0: dude with gil with gilmer what was his name
1: will volmarama yes. right from that 70s show
0: yes dude that was the show i was telling my daughter about that she was like what I'm like, no, every time I break a your mama joke out, like this was before it got mainstreamed, it was cool. And then all of a sudden it got less cool because it got mainstreamed. But they would bring people to other people's homes to do research, to make fun of them on TV.
1: Yeah. And they'd be like your mama and be like, whoa, But (laughs) it was awesome. So George Perez actually was on your mama and he was a finalist, but he went to prison right before the finals and he's like this Mexican gangster dude who like got in a fight at playing basketball and he punched some guy in the face and that guy ended up like seeing him on Yo Mama and pressed charges against him so he went to prison so him I like Felipe Esparza these are just like all good just west coast I like Tom Segura obviously Burt Kreischer uh, Tim Dillon's awesome. Like I like dark comedy. Like if it makes you just kind of be like, ah yeah, like, that's me.
0: If it's cringy and shit. Um Rogan special was good and Chappelle was good, but I feel like they're almost everybody knows them. You know who's uh, are you familiar with uh Shea Serrano? I'm not. Dude, you might like to some Shea Serrano. Um so I got with him through sports, he's big into basketball. He's a huge, he's a Texas guy and he's a Mexican and, um, he's, he was a teacher and now he's a writer and he makes some fucking seriously great books, um, hip hop and other things. He has like podcasts where it's called like no skip pods. So he talks about albums that, you know, on CDs you would just never skip a track. And he's hilarious on Twitter, the way that he can like, shit on people
1: okay
0: um but then he's also super super positive
1: okay yeah shay so serrano that, uh, andrew schultz
0: uh you i i liked him i like him on podcast i did not like him um his netflix special
1: oh you didn't like that the one that he just came out with
0: um I think it was the one during COVID. I don't know if he has a stand-up special, but it was the one where oh, we was yeah. sitting there and all the pictures were flailing, and it was just—it was too oh, quick yeah. for me. I didn't get to laugh because it was like every ten seconds. I can't process your intelligence and your insight because here's another thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was a a hit him special. So it's like you just hit him with one-liners. So look up his new Netflix. Maybe I'll shoot you a link on the email. Um, he just dropped an email like two weeks ago, but, um, he had an abortion joke in there and the, whoever he was trying to sell it to, whatever streamer said, Hey, you got to cut the abortion joke. And he said, fuck that. And so he's, he bought his special back from whoever the streamer was. I'm assuming Netflix, he bought it back and decided to sell it privately.
0: Uh, yeah, he was on Rogan's pod talking about that.
1: Okay. Yeah, so he did a huge, a huge tour, talking about how he just said, "fuck it." Sometimes comedy just needs to be raw, which it does, you know, like Tim Dillon, you know. And so he just dropped this new special, but you have to buy it from AndrewSchultz.com. So you're buying it, which is nice because you're actually buying it from the artist, opposed right. to like buying it from a third party. But he – don't don't go off of what you saw before. Go off of this one because you'll like it a lot better.
0: I mean, he's – conversationally, man, he's hilarious on Rogan's pod. The two times yeah, he, he's been on there.
1: And he doesn't even do himself justice on podcasts. And it's nice because you can just sit and just be like, I agree with this. I agree with this. And then you're like, ah. I see how that's funny, but I agree with that. You know, it's all over the place.
0: Yeah, I uh, comedians who purposefully flaunt their—I don't give a fuck. There's something so endearing about that to me.
1: Absolutely. That's why I'm a big George Carlin. I like George Carlin probably the most out of any comedian because he like breaks it down, but also makes it funny.
0: Yeah. That's the, those are those like, um, Jon Stewart precursors. Dude, I was watching, uh, doing laundry the other day. Was it? Fuck. I always get delirious and raw mixed up. Which one was first? Do you remember Eddie Murphy's
1: or which one or who
0: for Eddie Murphy? He had two specials back in the day. It was like in the eighties delirious and raw.
1: Uh, I think delirious was first. And I think raw was the bigger
0: one. Okay. So then I'm watching raw and he's talking about like Mike Tyson and then like, he's going to fight Michael Jackson and shit. And you're like, like you're hearing him talk about gay dudes and like making fun of, you know, homosexuals. And you're like this, I I don't know, like slander wise. It's like you're trained as a teacher to be like, you can't be mean in this way. But at the right. same time you're like, there's such a freeness to like, Hey, we accept you. We just are going to kind of make fun of you, which I don't know why that's so appealing to me, but I feel like if you make fun of people, you kind of accept them.
1: Right. I feel like I'm the same way. It's like, I'll make fun of my own family. I don't need you to like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'll I'll make fun of my own family, but I'm also going to protect them. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I know I have a slow sister, and I'll joke about it because I'm lighthearted <laughs> about it. But I don't need you coming over here, you know, talking shit about my slow sister, you know? Yeah.
0: So then that goes against the Eddie Murphy argument because he's not gay. So then he shouldn't be able to make fun of...
1: But I think he's them. doing it for people. I think he's just the catalyst of it. I don't think he's... I don't think necessarily think he's aggressively making fun of. He's just the storyteller, yeah, or the messenger.
0: yeah. I mean, he's definitely delivering a message. But like it's just not like it's not hateful. It's such a weird line, right? But at the same time, I don't know the free speech aspect. Like I just want people to say shit and let you figure out where you fall. Like if you listen to Eddie Murphy and you really feel like he hates gay people because of his joke, like I guess you could get that conclusion or you could be like, wow, he's really paid a lot of attention knows the intricacies of them at the time in their culture. And like, he's kind of giving them a little bit of like mainstream acceptance at the moment. He's taking a group that's an outlier and it's like bringing them into the mainstream to be known.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Um, like I went to Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan stand up and the that was the first time I've ever been to a show where you had to put your phone in a bag. Okay. Like you couldn't take your phone in. Have you been to a show like that?
0: Um Southern Delaware, man, I don't go to shows. Oh, okay. <laughs> two hours from Philly, two and a half from Baltimore.
1: <laughs> so you can imagine you gotta put your phone in a bag and lock it in a locker. We do have have bags in Delaware. Yeah. You have to lock it. Your phone, no pictures, no videos at these things. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. But I mean, like how many transgender jokes do you hear before you're like, all right, well let's move on to something else. You know?
2: Yeah. Like,
1: uh, I just felt like you can only hate on low hanging fruit so much before you're like, all right, like, shit, make some Mexican jokes or something, (laughs) you know? You're like, like there's so, especially Chappelle, so fixated on this transgender thing that I, and not only Chappelle, I don't understand the whole transgender, like issue. I do get it, but I don't get it. And maybe that's the West coast of me. Maybe that's the Seattle of me. Like, I don't, like, I don't care. I have four transgender friends, so maybe that's also attributing to it, but I'm like, I don't, I don't, that's where I disconnect with the rest of the country in that regards.
0: When you say the transgender issue and care, what do you mean?
1: and that could be open to anything. Like, remember years ago where they were, oh, well, you can't let transgender women into the bathroom Uh... to to just jokes, to uh, don't say gay bills in Florida. Um, And then Dave Chappelle clearly going in on transgenders. Like anything transgender, I don't get because I don't care. So I don't, I'm not, I don't understand what other people, when they say they do care. Like you're a teacher. So our teachers scared of transgenders coming into the classroom and,
0: talking to kids or is it? Yeah. So there's something, man, if I had to talk about, like if I had to pinpoint, so I've been having a lot of politicians on the pod recently, because it's political season. And the thing I've noticed about myself is it's really hard if I have to vote because you got to pick a side when you vote. Right. And it's very hard because I understand both sides of a lot of topics and I can talk myself into both of them. So if I think of myself as a teacher and I think of the transgender thing, and we see it a lot with, um, like, um, pronouns and gender identity in general. So it might not even be just transgender. And I'm, I don't know if there's a huge difference between gender identity and transgender. Right. But kids are kind of exploratory. And I guess my worry would be, are you, like, I want to say encouraging, but if a child is like, I want to wear a dress or I think I'm a girl and you're like, oh my God, you're a girl, you absolutely could be a girl. You should be, do you feel like a girl? You can be a girl and there are ways for you to be a girl. And it's like, or maybe I'm just kind of like a girl, feel like a girl today. And I don't know if it's a life changing choice. It might just be a moment. Like I'm I'm going to put on a dress when I'm four years old and it's fun or something. I've had transgender students that are like, nah, it's just what I am. Biologically a male feel like a female. And it's like, yeah, I get that. That's fine. I, I don't, I get worried about kids who are seeking identity, having something concrete that later on could regret it when it's like irreversible, surgically wise, or if you're injecting their bodies with hormones, and you're like trying to alter DNA that right. that's where I start. Like, I don't know what I want to do with that.
2: I, I don't
1: right. know.
0: I don't know what to do with that. If I was a decision maker.
1: Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of steps before that. I feel like, like if I have a kid who shows up or you have a kid that shows up and it's like, Hey, I feel kind of feminine. You're, first thought is probably not like, oh, transgender, you're probably like, hey, eh, you know, let's talk about it. You know, that's step one discussion, you know, like, maybe you're just gay, you know, like, but you're 10. You know what I mean? Like, maybe there's some steps before all that happens, but at least there's open communication. I think that's the most important thing I would assume is just the ability to say those words. It's something that kids didn't have in the 90s. Yeah. Early
0: 2000s. Well, the important thing is I don't want you to be shamed with your emotions. So like you're feeling this way, dude, it's not my job to tell you you're going to hell or it's not my job to tell you you should not feel this way. It's not my job to tell you I can't support this. Get out of my class. Like, but it's also the weird part as a teacher is you hear some shit and it's like, yeah, you know what my degree's in? Helping you to write an essay, it is right. not in right. mental counseling, man. I don't want like the thing we're taught if a child like reports sexual abuse, do not ask details because you're not trained to help that child navigate that trauma, and you don't want that kid unpacking that trauma multiple times.
1: Right. so how do you, so are you trained to not do that? <laughs> no are yeah, you six, you, like,
0: you're immediately, you're me like, oh my God, this that is horrible. Let's get you to the counselor.
1: Right. And so do you think that maybe a child is telling you specifically because of you?
0: That's the interesting part, right? Now, what you would do in that case is you would have to, you would let the counselor lead the conversation and you could stay in the room. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, Hey, I'm here for you, man. I support you. This is terrible. I, and my line would be like, I don't want to have to have you tell this story more than you need to. Let's go to the counselor who knows how to do all the documenting, like who knows how to report this to get you help. I don't know how to do that, but we're going to do this together.
1: And there's no, there's no, I mean, obviously there's no other way around that legally. You don't want to be the only adult hearing that.
0: Oh, it's a mandatory report, man.
1: Mandatory. Okay.
0: Yeah. Like, like kids, like somebody touched me inappropriately. Like it's mandatory investigation. You get fired. Okay. So if I don't report it, and this is like where kids can get a little fucked up because you know how dudes are dicks. And they're like, oh, yeah. he, he touched me last night. And you got to be like, dude, like, is this a real thing? Right? Like if this is a real thing, man, I got you. If if you're just fucking trying to make people laugh, you can't make people laugh that way. Not around me, man. If I hear that, I got to send you somewhere to get you help or else I lose my job.
1: Now is that like, Do you think kids these days, when you turn that serious button on, do you think they're like, oh shit, I need to step back? Or do you think- Yes, if you hold the line. Okay.
0: Yeah, dude, I've had Hispanic kids be like, I I don't call them. They're like, oh, you you didn't like my answer because you're racist. And I'm like, so you just made an outward allegation that I'm a racist. If you feel this strongly about it, that I've somehow racially antagonized you at this moment by telling you your answer is wrong, Mm -hmm. feel free to leave the classroom and go file a report.
1: So that's crazy. Like being Hispanic kid, I've never once thought as white people being racist. I I've had racism, racism towards me, but not as a child. I didn't know what racism was.
0: Nah, dude, it's a buzzword, man. For yeah, the kids, so it's like a, going to the kids, they just latch on it. And it's like, oh man, that's racist.
1: <laughs> gotcha. So that's something you deal with now. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. So do you think that, so could you lean into it more and be like, how is that racist? Like, yeah, or is that just being worms that you don't need to?
0: It, it depends on your comfort, comfortability. So like uh-huh. I was telling you, I'll know why I'm at this point in my life. Like I'm not fearing a 12 year old. Cause I feel like I'm prepared for my job and I do it well. <laughs> right. There are yeah. some people that do not want to challenge a child who calls them out about stuff. Cause they feel somehow uh, they're going to get in trouble. They're not going to win. And I'm like, nah, dude, like this kid calls me a racist. All right, cool. Go to the office, bring your parents and let's have a conference. Let's explore how I'm a racist. All right. Do you think that you're, um,
1: your background, but what you're also doing makes you confident that you're not, that you can stand up against a racial charge. Like, yeah, you well, yeah. are me. I'm not saying it's a racial charge. I'm just saying, yeah, like,
0: whatever the accusation. I'm no, confident, dude,
1: yeah. I, I communicate with so many people, but I could get that little white chick from Delaware who's like, I've never hung out with black kids. Like, I don't want to get called racist, you know?
0: There's an aggression towards there's a difference in class communication, like lower class, middle class, upper class. When you talk about manners and elbows and etiquette, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm not fucking, we're not sipping red wine out of China with background music playing. And so dear, how was your day today? Tell me, like that's not how I grew up, man. Like you grew up fucking, there wasn't anybody around. You talk shit and you talk too much shit, dude, you, you get put on the ground. So like you find this balance of, self-regulating. And, and I don't know if all teachers uh, the majority of teachers that I'm around middle to upper-class white females. And the thing I take for granted is that sometimes they get fearful of controlling 25 kids that could like one of them could easily outpower them just physically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't and again, dude, I'm I'm five ten. I'll I'll say I'm five ten because you're five nine. I'm five ten, a buck seventy. I'm not super big, but like I'm not fearing I'm not fearing a eighth grader. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of female teachers do. So then if that I think for them, if that conversation were to escalate in the worst way, how do you gain control? Me, I'm like, I got a booming voice. I'm gonna put you in your plate. Like I'm not I'm not fearful of losing control of 25 kids. Yeah. Where I don't think everyone feels that way. Yeah. So I don't think maybe they even want to take that on for fear of the escalation.
1: Interesting. Man, I could not imagine being in front of children. So how big's your class? Like, is that an issue?
0: Oh yeah, man. It it's it's getting there. That's uh I've been I actually a couple of state senator people running for state senate. I was like, look, man, y'all got to figure this out. Funding wise. We can't, we can't keep having classes of 25, 30 kids. Um, so what does
1: funding look like? Is it just this funding need to go to bigger schools, more teachers or a little bit of both? Or what is that like?
0: Smaller Obviously class sizes.
1: So You vote, you vote for your interest, right? Like, is that all that, do, do politicians ride a specific education line? Um,
0: in Delaware, I've not heard so even so typically the union endorses Democratic candidates Now what that means is they give a lot of money towards education. From my experience, what I see that going to is not um lessening class sizes it adds to administration. So like uh, for instance, something that was really good is, we had two full-time counselors put in. So the the child dealing with gender identity. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel competent to help them navigate that. So I now actually have someone in building that I can refer the kid to immediately if it's distracting from their learning, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But that's a class of 25, where if that counselor wasn't a counselor, was a teacher, we'd have two teachers and that class would be 12 and 13. And now, if our focus is you writing essays, you reading on grade level, you analyzing stories or nonfiction, I can give you feedback if my ratio is lower. Right. So, like, the thing that fucks with me is, like, I, even though I work in a school, like, I don't know, schools feel this need to, like, provide breakfast, lunch, aftercare, emotional support. And I'm like, weren't schools fucking, like, when did we lose our main purpose of, like, educate? And not that it's not needed, but I'm like, it's like you're almost trying to do too much so you don't get anything done well.
1: Right. So let me ask you this. What was your favorite teacher growing up? And do you try and mimic that in your own teaching style? And what would you like to change about how you kind of like teach?
0: Um, so what I'd like to change is my sarcasm. I'm very, I'm a negative person right away. And I got zero qualms with fucking with kids. And I'm like, dude, I just gotta be more, I just gotta be more positive. Like I gotta, I gotta be more of a hype man. Um, I, I tend to be very like, okay, like you, like, I I don't understand why you're proud of that paragraph. Yeah. It's a good paragraph, but like, I'm not going to. Be like, oh my God, that's the best topic sentence I've ever read. Like, yeah, good job doing your job. How come you didn't do right. two of them? Like, I don't know, it's just my personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what does
1: it look like in that situation? Because I feel like I've been that kid who has had a sarcastic teacher like you. And like, when I do good, I feel it. Like I'm hyped. But when I do bad, I feel and not because the teacher almost belittled. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's... Because I'm weak. I, I give off a persona as like... I'm thinking of kid Anthony. I give a persona off that I'm tough. Yeah. And then that when I think I did something right or whatever, and then I get a little sarcastic, snarky comment back, it drops me more than the average kid.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Exactly. So it's like... Is that what you would, is that what you like, what you could get better at? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. I I think that's the fear. The fear is some kid, you think you can joke with a kid and it's not that big of a deal to you, but to the kid, it's everything.
1: Cause you're getting it a lot from him. Probably exactly right. And then that one minute where you're like, Oh, I'm gonna give it back to him. And then they don't like, I find that even as an adult where I give, 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 and then I get a little and it feels like a ton of bricks. Right. You know, and I'm like, fuck, I kind of got my own medicine, you know, but yeah, I always like my favorite teachers growing up were like the teachers that were like, ah, you know, like, it's funny because I can see it when you're talking to me. You're like, okay, you take it in, but I'm not challenging you like a kid. So you're able to process what I'm saying and you want to give the same energy back. But I could imagine if I was just like inundating you with just, you ain't shit, Mr. O'Grady, you know? And then I'm like, here's my essay. And you're like, well, your shit ain't shit, motherfucker, you know?
2: <laughs>
0: It'd be like, you got an S on this. What yeah, do you mean right, an S? Uh, shit. Actually, yeah. S squared. Why? Because this is straight shit. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll wipe my ass with this, you know? It's like, but at the same time, like, I, there's probably, like, my favorite teacher was always like, man, that is wild. He would never use, I just remember his name was Slack. And he would never use actual, like, words that meant anything. I was like, that is wild. <laughs> in the sky, heavens came down on you. And he's a southern black dude in Oregon. So he didn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He's like, man, did the gates of heaven open up and you wrote this? Because... I don't know who wrote this son and i'm like i don't know you know and he's like well let's work on this you know it's like something so far that i just didn't like took me to another place and then he was like well you know the trash man cometh, and i gotta take this paper you know and i'm like yeah you're right you know and he's like let's focus on the good you know his little southern accent and i'm like i don't even know what this means but i'm with it but he's like basically tell me i'm trash and he's like, you're good on the, f-. and he'd always go back to, well, I noticed you had a good game on the soccer pitch. That's good. He's like, keep on keeping on, but you got to match it with uh, English, you know? So it was like, took me all different areas just on one little, like one little thing. Like, yeah, your paper sucks, <laughs> but it always came back to like, yeah, my. he would always look at our sports stats and be like, oh shit, you scored. Right. You know, yeah, I don't so know.
0: yeah, that's that I'm, just personal I'm, connection that can help make it easier to take criticism because you don't feel like it's straight criticism. You feel like it's care.
1: Right. Well, it's like care that doesn't feel like care. Cause when you're so, when your house hold is trauma, care can also be trauma because you're scared of like, like somebody being nice. You know, so you almost have to like gift wrap it in something else, you know, like, Oh shit, you catch that Delaware state game. Like that was shit, you know, like, Oh yeah. You know, some, dis- it's almost like distractions were so beneficial to me, mm. and then a distraction before the meat and potatoes of why I suck, you know?
0: Yeah. And dude, you know, what's interesting about that as I'm reflecting, go into like uh, class sizes is i think i see that as an inefficiency in the time that i have i'm like fuck, dude I, I got so many kids i gotta give so much feedback back i don't got time to worry about your fucking feelings, son i gotta tell you what you did well i got to point out one thing you didn't do well and then let me tell you how to do that better and then i need you to do it while i'm here so if you screw up the thought process as you're trying to apply it i can help you fix it now you're good and you can do it on your own. Right. And like, I'm like, if I have a two minute conversation to like feel you out times 20 kids, that's 40 minutes. I'm like, we're never going to get this thing done, kind of a thing, you know? But like, at the same time, it's valuable and you need that. And that, that to me is my current battle, like, my professional goal is the interaction of like just delivering that criticism in a better way.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Criticism is so hard. I don't, I'm terrible at criticism.
0: Yeah, a lot. See, I, I feel the thing I like to try to do is I like to try to set seemingly really high standards. And then when a kid actually gets it, they feel amazing. Yeah, And that's what I love is being like, dude, this is difficult. You're going to suck. It's going to be hard. You're not going to get it. And if you just push through, when you do get it, you're going to be like, wow, I accomplished this. The whole, I did that thing. I did that. I wrote that essay. Yeah. This was a pain in the ass, but I can do it now. Like, I, yeah,
2: that's...
0: I guess that's my favorite type of teacher. It was this old, like this old, Older, real hardcore, gave no fucks English teacher that was like, yeah, you wrote 18 limericks. How come you didn't write one good one? <laughs> focus on the concept. Don't focus on just getting it done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I can definitely, like, like my teacher that I liked, we'd walk in and he'd be like, shut the door. Like, oh, Jesus. He'd be like, shut the door. I'm like, well, <laughs> Why? And he'd be like, because this is your space. This is your time. Everything in this room is about you. And I'm like, all right. And he'd be like, yeah, notice noticed you gave up a goal. He would keep... I played JV soccer. And he, he would be like, hey, man, you got to lock that up. Can't be letting scoop. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know my JV goalie? I was second string goalie, and I gave up like six goals. <laughs> you know? And he'd be like, yeah, man, you can't be... Given the I'll be like, Jesus Christ, okay, cool. Like all he had to do was just ask the coach, be like, Hey, what's up with Anthony? You know. But I mean those little things like went so far and he'd be like, What's up with life? you know, and like he yeah. died. But to this day, I'm just like, Fuck man, like he didn't even talk about college or school or like what my plans. He would just be like, Let's talk about the now. You know, let's not talk about the past. Let's talk about the now. I thought it was so cool as a teacher.
0: I think you nailed it there, man. I think kids, kids you're trying to reach get very upset when you bring up the past or like, Oh my God, you always do this. Well, that has nothing to do with today. Even if right. I always did it, like I could have changed or remember last year, or your teachers told me about this, or you know, your brother was troubled too. Like that kind of shit is terrible for kids and wasting too much time talking about what they need in the future. They're fucking kids, man. Like they care about lunch. They don't they don't they don't care about the future not like adults do. So yeah, just stay in the present. Dude, this is this is our mission right now. This is our goal to summarize. We got to we got to read 3 pages and we got to pull out the main idea. Right? That that's all we're focused on. So when I interact with you, when I talk to you, It's all about that, getting you to accomplish our mission for the day.
1: Right. And I, as an adult, I still fucking struggle when people, adults, be. hey, I thought I told you. I'm like, I can shut down the second you say that. As per my email. Yeah, I shut down. (laughs) I'm like, hey, I thought we went over this. I'm like, I thought I should stab you in the eye, but I didn't. So you should be thankful, like.
0: I thought I'm I'd re- ask you a really stupid question to waste most of our times. And then as you walk away, I would blank. And you're like, nope.
1: Yeah. I was like, you realize I was at war. I will kill you. <laughs> like, But anyways, tell me that stupid email template that you wanted me that I didn't realize. My bad. I absolutely hate when people say, hey, I thought we went over this. Or, hey, I thought I told you. Yeah, And I'm like, yeah. or like my girlfriend is like, I'm like, I was like, just put it on the calendar. Don't even tell me because I'm going to forget. Right. Like I just, my mind is just somewhere else most of the time. And I know that it's a weakness, but I'm focusing on my strengths and I'm focusing on bettering other things. I just know that I'm not going to remember things. So put it in the calendar. No doubt.
0: Anthony, man, I, um, Actually, the first day, not for kids, but for teachers, is tomorrow. And um, I did not think we would roll three hours.
1: Yeah, man, that's awesome.
0: I, dude, I had a goal of making you cry. And I think I let you off the hook by not interjecting earlier on um, with all your trauma.
1: No, that's fine. That's fine. I, I just enjoyed just kind of grazing it and, and just talking about it. And just, you know, it was cool. Like, I think I'm over it to an extent of tears. I just like, a plat- I just like a platform to just be like, you know what? It's about kids. Now, now it's about kids, you know, like how can I do better for vets? How can I do better for kids?
0: Yeah. I, I love it. That's a beautiful place to end, man. Dude, I'm so glad we um got to connect and I cannot wait to, um, I don't know, take $50 from you and get it on my donation page. I'm excited to, uh, to just get some of that west coast money over here on the east coast
1: yeah for sure does it go as far over there
0: <laughs> money
1: yeah <Is> that, <laughs> like what's the inflation rate difference between east coast and west coast like i, don't I know mean, we got these uh corporations over here we're kind of rolling
0: yeah so what gas in delaware 369 a gallon
1: we're at five dollars so... still
0: no way yeah dude we never i think we hit five dollars once and that was it.
1: Dude, I was $6. Dude, my condo that I'm in right now is three quarters of a million. You know, all the houses I could buy over there.
0: No shit. Condo, th- three quarters of a million?
1: Yeah, seven eighty nine. Just got my tax statement.
0: And what's the square footage in that?
1: Uh, like 2100
0: Oh, dude, that's a huge condo.
1: Yeah, three bedroom, three bath.
0: Yeah, that's... Okay, so... 7 89 you would be, you cannot get on the beach, but you could have a house in a beach town.
1: So I'll sign up.
0: Here. Um, yeah, dude, it's interesting. I'm trying to think of what other metrics. You can't go with cars because cars are just fucked everywhere. Um, like how much are bananas out there?
1: Uh, I do love bananas.
0: You look like a guy I who love loves bananas. bananas. That's why I asked.
1: I I get the organic three twenty nine. Does that sound right? A pound? I don't know. I just, I love organic <laughs> bananas, so I don't get the price.
0: Um, regular, like, whatever, dole bananas are 69 cents a pound out here. I don't know what organic is.
1: So here's the West Coast thing is like, we don't really look at the price of things, we just do it. Okay. I have no idea how much anything costs.
0: <laughs> then how are you going to measure inflation?
1: <laughs> I haven't. A function hasn't affected me at all. The only thing I notice is gas prices. Right. I um, have no idea. I know how much uh, uh a gram of acid goes for.
0: Yeah, I was say, like cool. fucking 30 milligrams of mushroom. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're talking in grams. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not I know um in Delaware the thing I got pissed about, they legalized pot, went to the governor, the governor vetoed it. And then Uh, you can override the veto if enough of the house members like vote to override it. So the yes votes had the number to override, but when it got vetoed, like four people took away their yes votes for the veto
1: vote. Vote anybody out against hemp marijuana. It's ridiculous.
0: At this point, dude, it's, it's so much better for you than alcohol.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Like, it's just from a health standpoint, you're so much better off smoking pot than you are drinking with red wine.
1: Yeah, I live across the street from a dispensary. I go over there every day, I get a little J, they know my name, it's a $4 for a J, cool, thanks.
0: Yeah, right, like, so that's basically, like, we have this thing, um, Orange Crush, so it's a, like, a vodka soda drink. You get a 12-ounce can, 10% alcohol, that's $4. Like oh. I so much rather, I feel like society would be better if you could just walk in, grab a joint and unwind that way versus get one single cocktail.
1: Yeah. I mean, it all goes full circle here for the end of this whole thing. Like we want the military, the government doesn't want to empower trauma kids, low income kids, because then we won't join the military, you know? Yeah. Like, if we, if we all of a sudden get off of alcohol and stop acting like sheep, then they can't control us, you know, like all those things are there for a reason, you know,
0: conspiracy. That's the drugs talking right there, Mr. Conspiracy.
1: Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it's a pleasure, man.
0: Yeah, dude. I'm looking forward to just, I don't know, knowing you through social media. And, um, if you ever hit the East coast up, man, if you have, for some reason in Delaware, uh, feel free to look me up.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Sorry my uh, screen doesn't, I don't normally look this intense. I have a a Mexican shirt on, a gold chain, and a Cabela's hat on, just to put it out there.
0: Yeah, I was hoping for the Bass Pro hat. Why are are so many motherfuckers wearing like Bass Pro hat and fishing hats now? Why is that a thing?
1: I I actually fish, so in my defense, I got it with my fishing pole. (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll send you some salmon. How about
0: that? Dude, I'll take that, man. Yeah, man. Love me some salmon. And
1: I've some Silver Creek. All right, man. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Sean.
0: Yep. Have a good one, dude.
1: Hiding off, man. Getting to know
0: Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed Getting to Know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally... If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.